Good morning and a happy Thursday to you folks. Today is a fabulous day to start being grateful and creative. And what I mean by creative is every now and then you hear some things that maybe ruin your day. Maybe it's a political statement. Maybe it's some bad news. Maybe it's just the traffic light that seems to catch you every single time you drive down that road. Whatever it is, look at it as a clue for your day because today is going to be the best day that you can possibly have, and everything that goes into it is part of that best day. So even if it's bad news or something that you normally might not be grateful for, figure out a way to be grateful for it, because I'm telling you, it is part of your day. Don't let the little things get you down. Don't let the things that you can't control control you. Today's a great day to grab a hold of your life and say, Day, let's go do this. Now let's get this party started, people. It's Thirsty Thursday. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling, and we are soon to announce our studio sponsor. Coming up next week, we're going to have an announcement who our studio sponsor is. I'm excited. I don't even know. We've got weekly sponsors, Orange Property Management, Maxwell's. By the way, big meeting tonight at Maxwell's. Are you coming? Were you? Did you get the email? I, I will absolutely go to a business meeting at a yummy restaurant. Okay, yeah. It's about a number of different things, so okay. it's... Uh, uh, Involves the show and write-off sponsorships and and all kinds of different things. Things are happening here, man. Well, I'm we're, just happy you're bringing me in. We're, we're getting listened to and have great newsmakers on, like the one Lauren Scott yesterday, which we forgot to even plug during the first segment. And that ended so. up being a really really cool interview, really interesting well, interview. He's a heavyweight in the industry, yeah. huge heavyweight in the industry, and does the uh, economic forecast for the state of Louisiana. I mean, so and. It's, like he always says that, uh, what is it, the, the climate is the most difficult thing to predict, and oil prices are ha. number two, I think. Yeah. And those two are nearly impossible, you know, to try to predict. It's kind of like a dart. You know, you're just throwing something up there to see what works. Well, there's so many factors. Just so many factors, you can't do it. Uh, okay, so what else do we got? Our phone line sponsor, Swan Energy. And Blind Joe might be calling in during this program. We'll wait and see. It's either today or tomorrow. We're going to see if we can't get Blind Joe on the program. Country music. He's down in Nashville making another go at it. Regional success up in the Midwest was on The Voice, NBC's The Voice. He was Blake Shelton's boy. Made it to the top ten, I think, I think so. eighth or yeah. sixth. He was and in that top bracket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't make it to the final four. No, that's all right. But he made it to the top ten, mm. and, and then I think, like I said, eighth or sixth. And anyway, dude, you and I couldn't even get to the top ten. And no. I know we've got pretty voices. I can't even get to Nashville. <laughs> what are you talking about? Hey, you know, talking about phone calls. So I come in, and of course, you're doing sort of a secret phone call again. So what was that about? Another CEO. Nope, nope, no, not another CEO, but I have gotten a few more of those a phone calls. calls. Is this uh, more trolling talk? Or? That's what a few of them have been about, uh, social media. Uh, but no, this was a different, different uh, call. I, have you been 
doing your homework and reading well, up on some I, trolls? Well, you know, I've just been kind of, you know, looking at the site, looking at the networks and okay. stuff and, uh, you know, just keeping an eye on the news and in, in general. But we'll talk about troll talk maybe tomorrow. Oh, I know we were going to okay. talk about it today, but we've got too much stuff planned today. Uh, That's how new I am to this. I'm excited that we have trolls. Yeah. Um, we've got, yeah, exactly. So it's, we'll talk about trolling tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm just anyway, kind of curious. But that, that's not what I was talking yeah. about. Did no. Greta get you going again? She did, but yeah. no, that's not what we're talking about <laughs> with those people either. Okay. Last one. I'm guessing maybe you pissed off a Senator, another Senator. That I could have done that, but no, that was not. Intentionally, unintentionally. uh, Senator Kramer is going to be on Friday's program. Oh, great. And so uh, we're going to talk with him about a few things. I might ask him about Greta getting going and I might talk to him a little bit about some trolling talk and that sort of thing. Cause well, yeah, I mean, he's there, you know, those two actually are kind of related in North Dakota because, you know, we've got, we've had some issues in North Dakota in the last decade, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, between Dapple and, you know, we've got that giant Greta Thunberg mural mm-hmm. in downtown Fargo, which the governor has endorsed Burgum. Okay. He calls it art. Right. And I, in fact, that's one of a couple interviews that have never aired that I did here, okay? Uh, I did an interview with Mike Williams, city council member, the one who brought the Greta Thunberg mural to Fargo. And what was the story behind that? Wasn't it something about, like... Uh, oh, there's, there's, there was there's more several to it, sides right? to that story. I got to go out to Bismarck okay. to talk to a few people if I want to go further on this story, okay? Because okay? there was history behind that. Well, like she was planning on coming here it or something? Ha- it all had... No, she was, she was in Bismarck. She okay. came to Bismarck. Okay. Because of the Dapple protest. Okay. And so what we've got in downtown Fargo is this giant mural of her that you can see from Island Park. Wow. Right. Oh, it's huge. People, I get texts all the time from people about this. That's why I'm, I've, I've been trying to tell people is that Boulder, Colorado, Austin, Texas, Fargo, it's all the same. Well, I just notice when people start getting excited, you tend you to You don't notice because your Starbucks wife makes everything, you know, just seem normal to you. <laughs> I mean, she's, she's, you know, that sort of thing. Hey, anyway, it's just a job, man. Uh, no, it was actually with an ad agency. Okay. Uh, we're having another clash. Okay. Um, there's, there's this disconnect about how to go into the next phase of, of, of life. And what we're talking about is, is there's certain... You mean with the show, though, right? With just a lot of different things. Okay. okay? you got to remember, everybody's a journalist now. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody's a media company. Yeah. Okay? Everybody's a brand. But at the same time, people are trying to hang on to this old way of life how there needs to be things done the old way mm-hmm. and we're not doing that. We, you know, like, like we do annual sponsorships. We've done it now for four or five years and there's a reason for it. It works. This is not something I just hair, you know, did right. people have copied us. Okay. People have copied us because we figured out a model that works. I've been doing this for almost 20 years, all but three years of it. Okay. 20 years. So I do know what I'm doing. Well, and you have to be nimble with this type of thing, but too. No, but no, I, I've actually made a living on it, and I've grown. Like, we've grown now. We added you. Yeah. So what it's interesting sure to me is, is that there, I've got people telling me I'm not doing things right. 
and I need to conform to their way. Hey, this is your show. And then they start delegating. The you do it, th- man. Then they try to delegate me work. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this isn't. No, that's fine. You can. Well, as soon as somebody offers you, can keep you doing money, all the things you want to do, right? As soon as somebody's like, here, I'm going to give you money. That means that they have a certain amount of control, or they think they do, over what you do and how you do it. And they do to a certain degree. Well, that's always been that relationship back and forth between. But, but that's a what sponsor. a contract is for. Oh, exactly. I remember my brother. Okay, my little brother didn't have any debt. Right. And so, you know, we, most people don't know what life is like without debt. Right. So, you know, the, the hippie protesters and things like they basically had to come up with 50 to 100 bucks a month to survive. So that's why they had no problem protesting. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember my brother would keep getting fired from all these jobs. And I thought he was a deadbeat for so long. because just not showing up. Or no, what? he would just get fired. And one day I finally, I was like talking to have him like that. What's wrong with you? You got to get your head on straight. Yeah, I'm going to have a big brother talk with him. Boy, did he set my head on straight. Well, yeah, because he was an hourly guy. Okay. He got, go work at a convenience store or go work at stock and shelves, whatever it is. Most of my jobs have been hourly. So, and, and he was wired differently. Okay. Than I was. I was wired that if somebody gave you 10 bucks an hour, they own you for that hour, right. you know, and as long as you were capable of doing it or you got the gumption, go do it. Well, right. That's the contract. That's not, that's not how he saw no, it. No, <laughs> he saw it like pretty soon. He was like he, my teenager. He, he would work and pretty soon they would, you know, start asking him to do things that were outside of job description. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if he wasn't hired to go take out the trash. He wasn't going to take out the trash unless she got paid for it. Oh, but then he's not a team player. Right, right. Yeah. So they try the team player stuff. Yeah. Well, that he didn't the like guilt, that. The guilt, the shame. Well, he's got a little bit of the FU that we have in our bodies, yeah. you know. And so I started saying, you know what? Good for you. Mm-hmm. Good for you, man. Because at the end of the day, he didn't have any debt. So he, all he did was he had he lived with a, a guy, a, you know, a roommate, yeah. uh, you know, in his early 20s and yeah, teens, just sort of starting teens. out yeah yeah so you had to come up with like 425 dollars yeah. a month remember those days man remember when you, you you had just enough independence that you could eat what you wanted and do what you wanted and stay up late and it only cost like 500 bucks a month remember those right. days <laughs> and so i started thinking about that going you know when i when you translate that to the salaried world mm-hmm. i wonder how that go well, every, I know every time you're, you know, lung. Mm, mm, yeah. So we're going to have to come in on Saturday. <laughs> right. well, you know, you and I both run our own businesses. There is no weekend. The weekend is whenever you're not doing something, but there's never a day you're not working. There's just days you're not getting paid. It's days of the week. Yeah. And, and if you're lucky, if you can remember what days those are. So. When it comes to that, you know what, though, with your brother, if you're working hourly and you have the ability to say, screw this, I don't have to put up with this. I'm going to do something else. Great. More power to you. A lot of people don't have that option. You know, Maxwell's flies in fresh fish every day. Is that why we're going tonight? I wonder. <laughs> what, did I you wonder already what check the, the fresh menu? fish is. Yeah. What's the catch? You know, think I should stand up and do a petroleum toast. Stand up and thank the fossil fuel industry. For bringing for, you that fresh fish. For bringing fish. me this fresh fish in the middle of landlocked North Dakota, <laughs> the geographical center of the freaking continent. I think it's... I mean, are you kidding me? My mother always told me to be grateful for something every day. I, well, I've had this for a while, okay? And this has been percolating inside I me. Mean, we got a few minutes, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little bit of fun here. I'm going to stir the pot. All right. Are we, He's into his second cup. Ready. We got to make this Irish this morning. <laughs> Ooh, doggy. All right. So you know how um, stand up military and 
you know, hand claps. Yeah. And then 9-11 happened, and now it's you got to stand up for the police and the first responders, mm-hmm. okay? And it just it just seemed like it was getting more and more government employees we were standing up and clapping for, okay? I hadn't thought about it that way. And that was, yeah, I, was, I always look at the core and the root. When you take out the, st- you sterilize it, right? Mm-hmm. Take out the triggers and the feel good and all that other stuff, and you're like, okay, the military, you know, I get it, but, you know, our military's changed quite a bit now. You know, we're giving out gold medals and guys haven't even left their house because they're they're doing drone missions missions on their computer. OK, true story. Sure. But true story. Yeah. We in Fargo, North Dakota, they got the happy hooligans that are flying mission Michigan's uh, missions, missions all the time. Yeah. And they have like chaplains on the floor for these guys because of their missions they do because they still experience real life trauma there's still ptsd and right in that. but yeah. but they're not there firsthand to yeah. get the total ptsd yeah but yeah. they're they're usually or in a lot of cases they're responsible for putting the hurt in exactly so, so i mean there's it's it's a, just a transfer of stress man just a tra- it's still it really is it's it's it, is. It really Absolutely is. Yeah. it is. So that's why I'm saying I'm not trying to discount this no, is all. Uh-uh. All I'm trying to say but is... But it's, it's definitely changing the nature of things. Without a doubt. Yeah. So after 9-11 happened, it was, it was the police and the first responders. Okay. And I got that. Okay. I got that. And then, it, you know, and then it got a little, like most things, like there was a great arrested development with Tobias, you know, with a, I don't want to blame 9-11, but it certainly didn't help. And it was like, whatever <laughs> happened in his life, it just, everybody was blaming 9-11 for everything, Jesus. you know? And I kind of felt like that's how it was going. Yeah. Well, then I found out that the firefighters, boy, they really get the raw end of the stick on this deal. 85% of firefighters are volunteer mm-hmm. in America. Yeah. We're giving the amount of foreign aid that we're giving to Israel and Guam and all these other countries. And no offense, but we don't even have a good fire department in our own country yeah. to where we haven't figured out to say, okay, maybe we need to reinvent. Okay, not, not defund the police, not reform the play, police. Let's just reinvent this shit and say, firefighters, police, you guys are now one. Mm-hmm. You're, a, you're, you're a, a, an emergency responder. And, you know, and, and we've got our subcategories from there type of... That's, I, I started wondering why we weren't thinking about that instead of just standing up and clapping and things along those lines. Because that's easier to do because it makes you feel good. You feel like you've contributed and you're supportive. But yeah, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't address the issue. Well, it's right? idol worship at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, okay? it really is. So what you've got is, is you've got these really bizarre forms of idol worship that you cannot, like right now I'm pissing people off just by, by bringing up this conversation because, oh, how dare you? Well, you know, there's different levels of respect. How dare right? you? I respect, I have a hell of a lot of respect for the guys that come and pick up the trash and come up and pick up the recycling, especially in this area dealing with this weather. It's minus 20 degrees outside yeah. right now, I, air temperature. I have respect for the post office person that's delivering stuff. I mean, you know, there are people out there doing their Even job. Even though they snoop through my mail. 
and they, they know do. more about me than I know about me. <laughs> well, they tend to open more of your mail than you do. That's, I just actually, see you dump it right in the trash. That's actually a true story. <laughs> so I'm looking at the menu here at Maxwell's real quick. Oh, yeah. And I'd like to put in an early order for the Cuban sandwich because that sounds like the bomb. Orange, pulled pork, black forest ham, Swiss cheese, pickles, and yellow mustard. It's your first business dinner, huh? Dude. Dude, you're in the wrong menu. <laughs> you got to you gotta go to the one that says entrees. No, That's no. sandwiches. No. This, is the, this is the bar what's, menu. What's this with you. Well, this is my starters. Well, bar menu. What are you talking <laughs> Bar menu. That's just, you're silly. So, but what I always wanted to do was, well, the, the first pushback was I wanted to stand up and just single out the firefighters, mm. thank the firefighters, pass around a hat to try to get them some money because not all, I mean, these guys are primarily a lot of times small business owners yeah. or they work for oil and gas companies. Yeah. Like, because a lot of other companies can't, can't afford to lose their employees. Dude, you go out into these small towns out here, the guys that are doing the fire department, they're this they're they're farmers, they're working at the Ace Hardware store, you know, they've got a nine to five job. Right. The fire they, stuff is when it's an emergency and they gotta pull on their but, boots. But the modern day volunteer firefighter, because of just the way the timing is on things, is a lot of times the small business owner because they control their schedule, mm -hmm. okay, and they need to give back to the community for either a sense of purpose or for marketing purposes, okay? Let's, yeah. be, let's be real here. And the other one, honestly, and I'm not kidding you, it's oil and gas companies in the industry because they understand the need for fired yeah, fighters. Yeah. You talk about an industry that's got oh. a lot of experience with the difference between flammable and inflammable. Right. And so like, there's a great example of how the oil and gas industry goes through life not getting credit where credit is due, and they should be getting credit. So that's when I started getting some of this pushback, like, okay, you know, after that, we, we, we say, good job, military, and then we say, you know, good job to the first responders, and then we say, good job to the police force and you know i'm like can we stand up and do a single out for the firefighters yeah. okay. then i went a step further because i'm going okay now i'm just on all government employees are we at park okay. rangers now oh no we got into teachers for a while there okay. after the shootings yeah we did teachers yeah. okay so um the well school for shootings. a while there it looked like they were in more dangerous jobs than the military yeah. i'm saying that you're not a kidding I mean, you're not. So I'm not saying it's not justified. No. But again, it was another government employee. And again, when you stand up and you give somebody applause, it's idol worship. Mm. So, all right. Whew. Coffee. Okay. I wanted to stand up and say, ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention, please? Can you please just raise your glass, raise your hand, raise your whatever for all the small businesses out there that are paying taxes, that are allowing the military to go, that are allowing the police force to go, that are allowing the firefighter, you know, go through just rattle, rattle, rattle. And secondly, everybody who's an employee, thank you very much for paying the taxes that allow us to do this too. Yes. I didn't think that would go over too well, so I never did do that. Okay. I see. I think right now that's perfect time for this. I know. I've been laying in the weeds, <laughs> and I think I might just jump out Ready and do pounce. it. But tonight at Maxwell's. <laughs> okay. Get the fish of the day. You can get your Cuban. That's fine. Oh, that's just a starter, man. Okay. Stand up and say, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, geez. I understand that our president of the United States has a war on oil. I, first of all, would like to say that I am against this war. I'm an American citizen, and I'm very grateful that I'm in a landlocked geographical center of North America having a fresh flown in fish that has been cooked to the precise temperature that it needs to be cooked at because of natural gas in that stove because I know nothing else could get me the precise temperature like natural gas can give me. 
But I mean, bum. just start doing like, just something like that. I wonder what kind of response I would get throughout the restaurant. I'm thinking it might be the last business dinner we have at Maxwell. Oh no, they're oh no, Maxwell's is fans. Okay, no, well, they're they're fans. They're they, you know, I, there's there's a part of me that thinks that in our culture nowadays we clap for by. everybody. Right. That's what we, I'm saying. We, you, you, you didn't win. You took fourth place. Great job. Or everybody gets a, a ribbon. Everybody gets an award. Everybody gets a clap and a slap on the back. And, you know, maybe there's some merit to that. And maybe I'm even guilty of that with my own kids. But part of me thinks we need to stand up and give a round of applause to everybody who made it through last year without going completely insane. And then we need to sit the F down and just get to work. You know, I really, when, when but we, when nobody we call, even knows what that means anymore. That's the problem. Yeah. Again, we're back to Aldi and Walmart. Yeah. We can't even agree on paper on bags, bags yeah. on, on those bags. So until we can get on That's the same a perfect thing. example, oh, that I've especially ne- since we've got an Aldi and a Walmart literally across the street from one mm-hmm. another. So you can go into one and take your own bag and you have to, but you can't take that same bag into another store and you have to use their bags. And they both blame COVID. We should be buying stock in disposable stuff that was going out of style plastic straws plastic cups plastic plates telling you you go into a gas station you can't take your own cup anymore you have to use their cups right you're not supposed to be able to use your own cup for refills and it's funny you say that because i've actually um filled up a half a dozen of those uh lays Mm -hmm. uh stacks you know the pringles yeah the pringle cans but but they're they're lays because they're they're made out of plastic the those sta- those the repurpose ones. really well. They do. They're great. Actually, yeah. they, they they work great for like see like if you have a deep root, say uh, plant, mm-hmm. those work really good for a seed starter. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, something with a deep tap root. Yeah. Type of a thing is then you can have starter. a lot of them next to each other. Absolutely. And, you can cut um, off the bottoms. Yeah. I've been filling them with change. Yeah, we put colored pencils and stuff in ours. And then I'm going to bury the change. Just like Ron Swanson. For for my son and his friends to have a treasure hunt in like 20, 30 years. Nice. Because that stuff will be like worth a small fortune then. Yeah. Because there won't be any change left. It'll all be digital currency. Oh, that's true. Be totally serious. Yeah, be like, what is this? A Bitcoin? Yeah, I'm not going to put paper money in there. Right. Just you know, just all kinds of different chains. Yeah, and I'd be very curious to see if it actually what kind of value it has. It's kind of like if you dug up a VHS tape from a time capsule now, how easy would it be for you to play it? Would you have anything to do with the change? You know, like would you have any way to spend it? Can you even go and use change anymore at vending machines? I don't even know. I'm sure you can in like a uh, travel lodge yeah. and a what's the other what's the other one a super eight, <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty sure something you know even probably even at the lines of a comfort inn or a uh, La Quinta probably not so much anymore. They've, yeah, they've probably modernized those pretty good now. That at the you would know you've done so much traveling. You you're like a, a an expert on small hotel chains and, and now with the dog it's interesting. In it's fact, another world. We need to do a whole show just on on travel tips things with, that with frackle bear yeah just no just i mean the, there are certain things that you can't put a price on hmm. okay like i'll give you one example i've stayed in a very lot a, a lot of very nice hotels and i've stayed in a lot of real dives okay and i've actually slept in my my vehicle quite a bit too i mean i've i've this sometimes is, that's the better alternative living the crude life yeah. baby uh oh no there are certain places there are certain cities where i will sleep in my vehicle in the walmart parking lot as my first choice yeah as my first that's because you'd choice. like to have a vehicle the next morning because I would like to have a comfortable sleep and a safe sleep (laughs) so um, Odessa 
Midland. Mm-hmm. There is, if you bring your dog, it is very difficult to find a patch of grass in order for your dog to stretch its legs. It's very difficult to find a river that's still has the flash flood where there's water in there. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, even like their dog parks have, have these little stickers and prickles and, and cockleburs and yeah. things. Like, and the cockleburs are not like the Midwestern cockleburs that are fluffy, like a, like a rabbit's tail. No, these that things are like you. what they dropped to punch tires, right? Th- this is like an apricot seed yeah. with spikes. With nails in it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That will go through your shoe. Yeah. And of course the paws on the dogs, they just click up right away. The La Quinta Inn... In Odessa, Texas, it's right down the road from the Ramada, which has an Indian food restaurant in it. I know you'd okay. find any local Indian food restaurant. And, and right next to the La Quinta Inn is a abandoned Mexican restaurant, okay, with a, with a parking lot. But in between those two, there is a uh, water catchway of, you know, flash flood type mm-hmm. things full of grass. Now, there's a couple abandoned mattresses and some garbage and things right, like that. But it's that. like a little Occasional oasis. Occasional bum, bum, you got to, you yeah. know. Well, well, there you're set, man. Right. I Sleep mean, out under the stars. But but they're cool with the dogs. Right. Okay. Uh, but I, so I, that's honestly, that's usually where I stay because um, of the patch of grass right mm-hmm. next door. And when you go out and you walk your dog 17 times a day. Well, it's when, like having a kid. You have to all of a sudden factor in. I can't just stay here. I got to find some grass. And that's yeah. another one. When, when I traveled with my son, you know, we would stay at certain places that would offer a certain continental breakfast mm-hmm. because he just loved the biscuits and gravy, yep. you know, and or has okay. a pool or why not? If you're, and if you're budgeting and you're like, okay, well, three people that saves $50 on my breakfast. Sure. All of a sudden that makes a big difference and stuff. <laughs> so anyway, that'd be kind of a fun show to yeah, do because I, so. I think there's a lot of people that would enjoy that even if uh, they just want to travel, you know, just to kind of know. Hopefully we'll those. still be able to travel in six tips and trips and one of my favorite articles i ever did was uh when i was writing for the bismarck tribune back when they had an energy section we did just bach and recommendations and it was people all over the country that have flown in and they just named restaurants and so we had diners to steakhouses to oh yeah it was just kind of a fun different place you know food trucks that were mentioned and it was a fun article but speaking of fun and food trucks and food coming up next We've got Super Bowl facts and trivia, the prizes, the number board. Folks, you do not want to miss this next segment. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. Studio sponsor, soon to be announced, Orange Property Management, Maxwell's. Thank you very much for being our sponsor today. Let's take a look at that menu. I feel all right. I'm doing okay. I'm here for the moment, you know, and then I'm on my way. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call. 
all today. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Crude Live Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. We've got a packed show today, it just seems like. We're trying to fit 20 pounds of potatoes into a five-pound sack. We're good at that, though. we got our Super Bowl picks coming up uh, Friday. We have our Super Bowl tomorrow. Yeah, Jeez, the board is full. Did we, uh, did we have to bump anybody else? Nope, okay. nope, no. We're just having to tell people sorry. It's too late. Hang on for March Madness. And, oh yeah, I'm yeah. getting all kinds of personal texts. And can <laughs> can you get me in? And <laughs> get, you know, wink, wink. Come on. I thought you were a well, friend. Hey, or kick, kickbacks. I mean, I've never seen such demand for a free game. People are hard up right now for some entertainment. <laughs> well, we we kind of is this really turned into something else because we're giving away over two thousand dollars of the product. Yeah, we've got that that awesome jacket, the custom jacket, and of course from, the grand from prize, Becker Safety from Becker and Supply, Safety, the and, custom Becker, a year sponsorship, fire resistant at the Crude Life, right, as well as a book from Eric Hatch and a hundred dollars for a date night. That's right. It's Uber Eats, isn't it? Uber Eats and I, yeah, something like that. Yeah. I, I know it's at least fifty from Uber Eats, yeah. if not a hundred. Could be a hundred. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then there's also Chewy Paws. Frackleberry Hound got into the prize closet. <laughs> yeah, have you hidden those better? I took she... a picture of them. Um, no, I, I had to actually put them up on top of a hutch to because she got in again. And I think she ate eight bones she got into. Oh, man. It's funny, too, because she's got Six, a box maybe? with a dozen I know. bones in it. She's just so spoiled. Yeah, she is. Absolutely spoiled. You are just putty in her paw. So Super Bowl, oh. man. Okay, I'm so... I'm getting excited. WIC's got a tote and a mouse pad. Mouse pad, and I feel like I have. Oh yeah, the forty, Jimmy, Dude, Jimmy the 40 with American. Foot go ahead, American Sorry. directional drilling. The forty foot tape measure, the BHA tape measure. Yeah, yeah Jimmy. this thing is awesome. All right, so what we've thought we'd do today. By the way, growing up, who was your favorite football team? I was always a, kid. a Steelers fan. Okay, you grew up as a Steelers fan. Was that because they were just dominant back in the 70s? No, uh, my uncle, my youngest uncle, who was kind of like my big brother, he was a, he was in everything Pittsburgh. Penguins, Pirates, Steelers. So okay. that's just what I grew up with. I like them. 
Yeah. I thought maybe you recycled cans and because of that Pittsburgh Steelers logo on the <laughs> no, side. You know, growing up, actually, you know it just seemed about? cool. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. But that was that was what cool about the Steelers is they seem like this blue collar, just a bunch of dudes mm-hmm. that got off from the mill, then went over to the field and played. That okay. was the persona. I was a Redskins fan. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so that it's made uh, Daniel Snyder's made it very difficult. It's been tough being a Redskins fan. But I will say for the first time in probably a decade, um, I'm rejuvenated to actually pay attention to the Washington football team now. Their game against the Bucks, you know, nobody expected them to put up any kind of fight, and they actually kept it pretty close. There was a chance. So the Washington Redskins are my were my favorite, and probably still are because I, I followed them quite a bit. Uh, because when I was four, five years old, Murray Proust, my neighbor, and I used to play Cowboys and Indians. And I preferred the bow and arrow. Absolutely. And he liked the cap gun. Sure. Okay. So we just naturally gravitated towards cowboys, naturally gravitated towards Indians. I'm more of the nature boy, outdoorsy mm-hmm. person. You are always. He's got the be. big corporate America job now, baby. <laughs> He's laughing at me now. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the Thanksgiving, our families, you know, mm-hmm. back and forth. He lived two doors down. So, of course, we were playing together all the time. Well, and there was nothing else to do because you otherwise you were watching the Lions lose. And they were done losing. So (laughs) it was the Cowboys and the Redskins football game on. In that moment, age four, age five, Thanksgiving Day, I became a Redskins fan. He became a Cowboys fan. So we still text each other and email and Facebook or whatever. Basically just troll each other. Yeah, but once a year, we'll we'll do the smack talk and that sort of thing. And that's one of the beauties of sports or just any sort of childhood connection mm-hmm. is that you can carry that spirit throughout your entire life. You, well, know? And it's, you know, and it's tough to even like explain it, but I, lo- I bet you a lot of people out there have the same type of feeling. You're four or five years old. It's a special day already with Thanksgiving. On top of that, you're watching the spectacle. Redskins, Cowboys. I mean, at that age, that it's like watching Star Wars at that age. It makes an impression. It totally does. You know? And back then, there was only three channels yeah. because Fox wasn't even around It was an then. event. It was. It, it was, was an event. Well, if, I don't know if you know the history of the Thanksgiving game. We can, mm. We'll save that for another day. But it goes back a long time, doesn't huge it? Huge gamble. Like, no one wanted to do it. No one who's wanted gonna to Who's going to watch it. TV on Thanksgiving? Who, right. That, Who, yeah. Who's going to actually watch TV on Thanksgiving away from their families? Anybody <laughs> who's ever had Thanksgiving how, with their family. How out of touch were they? <laughs> Holy smokes. Okay, so let's get into some Super Bowl trivia and some facts that you might want to impress yourself and your friends with. Uh, one of the reasons we brought up some of that is because what the Super Bowl tries to do is it tries to create an event so that you can carry with you forever in your family and that sort of thing. That's why they put in all this effort into the Super Bowl halftime show. It really um, is like a holiday. I mean, with the type of food consumed and everything, it's like a, you know, it is. It's a holiday, man. All right. So here's you got? here's your trivia. Ready? Yep. What team has the most Super Bowl appearances? Most Super Bowl appearances? Yep. Jeez, well, I would think the Patriots. That is correct. Yep. New England Patriots have 11 Super Bowl games back in 1985 was the first. First, yeah. And then all the way to 2018. And the Pittsburgh Steelers trail with eight. And all then right. Cowboys probably right after them. I Probably. Yeah. 49ers maybe. 49ers or Cowboys. I'm not yeah. sure. Just It stopped after that. So. <laughs> uh, number two, which team has the most Super Bowl wins? 
Uh, that's got to be the Patriots too. Patriots and the Steelers. And the Steelers both, have, both six. have six. Yeah. Correct. One All right. for the thumb. Which team has the most Super Bowl losses? That's got to be a tie between the Vikings and the Broncos. Incorrect. Broncos is correct. Vikings is incorrect. Uh, the Vikings and Bills both have four. <gasps> that, okay. About, how do I forget about now, the Bills? Now, the Broncos and Patriots have five. So the Patriots have won six right. and tied for the most, and they've lost five. I, yeah, I forget about that. And tied for the most yeah. losses, too. Biblically yeah. good, biblically, yeah, biblically bad. bad. Hey, if you're going to be the best well, in the you know, worst. Exactly. They go big or they go home. What teams have never never played in a Super Bowl? Ever played in a Super Bowl? I, I said never twice because I stuttered. <laughs> what, did you know I used to have a stutter? Yeah, you did tell me that. Yeah, you can't that's tell. why I went into public speaking. Yeah. What teams have never played in a Super Bowl? Browns and Lions. The Browns, the Lions, the Detroit, I'm sorry, the Houston Texans. Oh, sure, the Texans. And the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars, Which yep. Texans and Jaguars, expansion teams. Sure. So it's, hey, well, the Jaguars were one game away a year after they came in. You remember that? that I was do. 97, 98. I do remember yeah. that. Miami has hosted the Super Bowl 11 times. The Hard Rock Stadium hosting at six. The runner-up, New Orleans with 10. So Miami has hosted the Super Bowl 11 times, and New Orleans has hosted it second with 10. I missed the question there because I just kept reading. And in Florida in general, I think, because I know that they played like at the Orange Bowl way back in the day, you know, some of the early Super Bowls. Well, they're in Tampa this year. Yeah. So, I mean, there's Florida. I wonder how many, right, versus this is just Miami. This is the city. So the state would be totally different. I was excited when we got New York finally, you know, because I, I, I like cold weather games. I like watching snow bowls and stuff like that. Now they play it. It's always in a desert or it's always in a dome. Has a team ever played in a Super Bowl in its home stadium? I Well, okay, the Buccaneers are about to. Uh, that is correct. Yeah, but I think the 49ers have too uh, because they were playing in a different stadium for part of the season, wasn't it? It just says that the first one ever is Tampa Bay. Okay. Tampa yeah. Bay. I, I think there is the some The 49ers, I think, were like playing in a different stadium back in the 80s or 90s or early 90s. I'll have to look that one up. But yeah, the Buccaneers are going to be the first team to defend. What's the highest scoring Super Bowl game? Highest scoring Super Bowl game. Gosh. Oh, gosh. It's it's probably the Broncos 49er game, wasn't it? 49ers, San Diego Chargers. Oh, 94. Yep. 75 points in Super Bowl 29. Man, that game was over in about 45 seconds. I remember that. Wasn't yep. there like it was. There was a touchdown in under a minute. Exactly. And then it just kept going. I think he threw six. Jerry Stone Rice Young, just yep. 80 yard touchdown. Steve Young won, uh, what, six touchdowns on that game. All right. Who is the oldest player to play in a Super Bowl? Oldest player to play in a Super Bowl? It's yeah. got to be either a kicker or Vinny Testaverde. It is a kicker. Yeah. It's, uh, gosh, uh, was it, no, it was Gary Anderson. I don't remember his name. Matt Stover. Stover. Yep. Played for, for the, the Colts. Colts, yeah. Okay. And this year, Tom Brady will take over at <laughs> age 43. Matt Stover was 42. Tom Brady's 43. Dude, guy, Brady is two years younger than me. Here's a fun That's one. That's nuts. Which player has the most rushing yards in a Super Bowl? 
Is it Colin Kaepernick? It is Timmy Smith, the Washington Redskins. That was the strike year, 1987. <gasps> Timmy scabs. Smith didn't even make the team the next year. Yeah. I don't even know if A he A lot st- of them didn't. I don't even know if he started on the Redskins that year. I think he was picked up like game three or something Wasn't like that. Was he playing in one of the other leagues? He was, he was I actually, I believe he was literally mm. pressing license plates. Okay, so... <laughs> I, I think he, like that was actually what he was doing. Arizona in, State it, Penitentiary. Exactly. I think he was doing something like that, actually. <laughs> That's where he was the next year. Right. I can't remember. Okay, number 10. Has there ever been a year without a Super Bowl since it began in 1967? No. That is correct. They've had one every single year. What was the coldest Super Bowl on record? Coldest Super Bowl. Gosh, it can't be that cold. I'm guessing in the 30s or 40s. Super Bowl Four. Are you ready for this? Okay. Super Bowl Four. Now, you might think, because they technically take place in a, in a warmer climate, maybe one of the older Super Bowls had a, you know, a Green, a Green Bay Lambeau or something well, along those lines. they did in the champion lines. games, but yeah. Yeah, because I, I think they had home field advantage for the first couple f- Super Bowls. They didn't have, like, a centralized location. I think that they just... The they, first Super Bowl, I think they played in California, and it was just at a college stadium. It was, okay. It's always been neutral. Oh, it has been. Yeah, okay. I think it always right. has been neutral. Well, anyway, the cold... This Super Bowl on record was a brisk 39 degrees two-lane stadium in New Orleans. Super Bowl four. Okay. Yep. That 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 shocks me. Yeah. I would have thought it would have been, you know, maybe like Kansas City or, you know, Arrowhead maybe had it at one time or something like that. I wonder that. if that was like a, a weird event or yeah. if that was kind of normal then. Meadowlands, New York, maybe, yeah. you know, back in the yeah. teens or something. So actually, um, you know, thirty some degrees, if there's not a lot of wind, players probably dig that, you know, not gonna get overheated. Well, they say like when you run a marathon, you know, that like the 40 degrees, like perfect. Right. Not yeah. too cold, not too hot. Even with a nice it's mist. the Goldilocks zone there. Uh, how much do Super Bowl rings cost? Nowadays, uh, uh, fifty to $75,000 or more? According to this article. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Which is new because it's got the Tom Brady stuff. Okay. I'm guessing over 100000 a piece. The winning team normally receives about 150 Gem-encrusted Super Bowl rings for players, coaches, and other important members. That's funny how they throw them the word important members of the organization. The total for the set adds up to about $5 million. Wow. William, the refrigerator Perry, his size 25 ring was the largest made to date. (laughs) Yeah, that's like an ankle bracelet for my kid <laughs> uh the refrigerator perry probably one of the greatest super bowl mascots to come out of uh, of a real life situation well, I, yeah that guy well, was dude, fantastic i had the gi joe figure back in the day you had to send away he had a gi joe yes, too the fridge yeah that guy good for that guy what an awesome life you I know mean, what though? seriously i gotta of, say i was just re-watching that super bowl he right? was in wrestlemania 2 in the battle royal he got john he really he got big john stud eliminated yeah oh man well dude, dude was like 450 pounds oh I mean, he was, he was just a monster he was fantastic anyways what were your story oh uh, now i don't even remember okay <laughs> well this the fridge man he probably had a cereal after him too uh, in chicago probably mr t is another guy that's had a very interesting life and a delicious cereal i might Add. Cartoon. Yep. Had a cartoon. Mr. A team. He was, right. It wasn't about him, but it became about him. Doug Flutie had Flutie Flakes when he was the Bills quarterback back in the day. He made the Mohawk famous before Brian Bosworth. 
Oh, yeah. Mr. T? Mr. T really was like the gateway drug for me to understand wrestling. Clubber Lang. Really? Rocky uh, three, Rocky man. Three. Dude, Rocky Three made me scared of Mr. T, man. <laughs> Dude. He killed Mickey. <laughs> he did. That's right. Or Mickey died anyway, yeah. And then they realized that, yeah, he gave him awesome. a heart attack. Dude, I was like, what, eight, nine when that came out? That was profound. It was Drago that killed Apollo <gasps> Creed. All right. Okay, we're off the, off the reservation so, here. Why does the Super Bowl use Roman numerals? Many have asked that me. question. The use of Roman numerals began with the fifth Super Bowl, and then one through four were retroactively added to the first four events. I did not know that. So that means there's like programs that say WrestleMania three that probably looks like, or that, that say Super Bowl three <laughs> that look like Jaws three. Yeah. And as I understand it, they didn't start calling it the Super Bowl until Super Bowl three. Oh, for real? Yeah. I what think did it they was, call it? I think it was the AFC NFC championship game. Cause remember at that point it was still two distinct leagues. The I think AFC you're right on that. and the NFC were distinct leagues that played within their own conferences and then played for a championship game. The Roman numerals were adopted to clarify any confusion that may occur because the NFL championship game, the Super Bowl, is played in the year following a chronologically recorded season. In other words, oh, sure. calling it Super Bowl 2020 would cause confusion because... It takes place in 2021. Exactly. So that's that's. Uh, I did not know that was the reason. Instead, I've had to Google what the hell is this Roman numeral. I don't know how many times in the last 20 years. I had to look up what Super Bowl this was for the numbers board. Yeah. I, I didn't know. Was it 50-something? LV. Yeah. Is it 50-something? LV. Yeah. Is it 50-something? <laughs> Yeah, it's LV. Here, here's something I learned. Did you know that each team playing in a Super Bowl gets 108 footballs? Wait, wait, what? What do you mean? Each team gets 108 handmade footballs specifically for the Super Bowl. Oh, each team does. Each team, okay. each team gets 54 okay. for practice, 54 for the game. I wonder if they get, oh. um, how many teams, how many players are on the team? Is it 108? Like, well, what's, what? what's, the, what's, the, what's the roster? I think it's what, 54, 52? I, I don't know. I think that's what I'm wondering. That's I'm, a I'm wondering, number of players. Well, that's what I'm wondering if like trainers and everything. If yeah, the yeah it's probably 100. If the 108 yeah. is like happens to be the same number of the amount of staff it needs to have sure. the Super So that way everybody gets a game ball. Right. If that, you know what I mean? Well, I As think a it's a souvenir. They, they go through them every down, they change a ball. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Every the kicker has their own set of balls that they've been able to squeeze, and the quarterback has his bag of balls that he's been able to squeeze and play with. That was what kind of was behind the whole Deflate Gate stuff, you know. I miss Super Bowl week so bad. Oh, okay, because you know, being being you know in Fargo media, we had access to to Minneapolis because the Vikings. We, we were like the Minnesota Vikings' number one affiliate outside of Minneapolis. Well, and because of where we're at geographically, we've also sort of benefited from the Wisconsin Green Bay market. So we, even though we were nowhere near but, our own team, we've got them. But more importantly, we we got access to the Super Bowl week. We actually yeah. had people that would go down when the Super Bowl was in Minneapolis to go on uh, media row. Mm -hmm. So they actually got to be a part of that next to ESPN and. 
the big dogs, right? What are they doing this week? Well, is it all virtual? It, there's, I don't think there's really anything. And the part that I miss is these just ridiculous storylines mm-hmm. that are authentic. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got, I don't know, you've got, say, you know, Warren Moon is just walking through media row and you happen to be the local, you know, let's say they're in Minneapolis, okay? Yeah. And you're the Fargo-Moorhead affiliate that actually gets the spot. Well, Warren Moon, he's paid to go on whoever raises their hand. Right. So you're going to get so some words. You all of a sudden, because everybody else has got the A, the a players, mm-hmm. you get stuck with Warren Moon. Well, Warren Moon got has the best stories. Okay. He's got the ability to say whatever he wants. He's got, you know what I mean? So you, you just get these cool things. So he'd get into the... About the deflating of the yeah, ball, for yeah. example, whereas everybody else would just read the standard line. Well, you know, if you watch a football game, unlike a baseball game or other game, it, it looks simple, right? Uh, the football game, it's, it's, it's ball, people hitting people with ball, running and stuff like that. But if you start to actually learn about what goes into building a defense and the offense and how they respond, how they call the plays, the sign language, all the signals that go into it, there's, there is a whole story about just how a team operates that I think most of us don't even realize. But I love that type of stuff. And during Super Bowl week, you'd get that kind of story, you know? Oh, you'd get totally. Those, you'd get those obscure stories about the equipment manager that's been with the team for 60 years or something like that. Well, it's funny too because, you know, I'm just going to throw out a few names. This isn't real, but mm-hmm. the story's real. The, the the actual guts of it is, you know, somebody like Jerry Rice would be walking through and then, you know, our, our local guy would happen to grab him. He'd come on the noontime show, you know, live type thing. And, oh, yeah, Frackleberry. That's right, Jerry Rice. Climate activist out on the lawn again. And so all of a sudden, you know, just small talk, right? And then all of a sudden you find out, well, he's really in town because he's meeting with Jer- with Randy Moss and they're going to put together a restaurant. And so all of a sudden you start talking about that. And that's what makes it so cool about Super Bowl week is everybody's there to party and yeah. to be laid back and nobody really wants to talk shop. No, and what well, you, you come to realize that these guys have lives outside of the game. Right, right. so you get you to know? know them a little yeah, bit. And that's what, that, that's what I mean. I miss Super Bowl week and I really wasn't ever part of that media role, but I was the producer on the, you know, yeah. pulling the strings behind behind yeah. the scene type thing, yeah. making sure it got on the air. I never got a, you know. Well, so at least you, you got to be close to the fire, you know. Yeah, bit. I got, <laughs> right, by Zoom, <laughs> by, by, by do you remember Zoom of the day? They don't do this as much in Super Bowls, but I've been watching a lot of old Super Bowls on YouTube because you can you can watch almost entire games and the way that they would talk about statistics in a Super Bowl, you know, like after the first kick, you know, they'd be like, okay, the team that gets the ball first in a Super Bowl wins this amount of times or something like that. I don't see that done as much, but one thing I did find that seems to still hold true is that teams that score first in a Super Bowl have a combined record of 34 to 16. So a 68% chance of winning. Really? Yeah, in the last seven Super Bowls, including this year, and this is three years old now, teams are 6-1 and when putting points on the board first. Now, you know, you and I grew up in the football world before free agency and before you would have teams that would, you know, be virtually unchanged for a decade. You know, you had your Jim Kelly on the bills for 12 years. You had the same coach for a decade. Um, So it seems like this kind of stuff is starting to go out the window. You know, you're getting new people in the Super Bowl every year. Stats going left and right. So I sorry, I was I was looking at it just reminded me of some of the weird stories that came out of um, 
the media week, mm-hmm. the Super Bowl media week, you know, where you just, like you say, you just grab the random people that are, you know, they got they got legacy deals with the NFL that they're paid to do this stuff. And, and they're a lot like of times. ambassadors, envoys. You know, honestly, the, 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 the way I was able to interview Mark Eaton, the, the NBA All-Star, was because he was paid for by natural gas. It was a natural gas association. I can't remember if it was the national one or if it was. He's out of Utah. He does a lot of corporate speaking, you know, in the Utah region. And it was because of natural gas that I met. Mark Eaton, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so he, he was very in tune with that. And so we got into some great stories and uh, a great story that was not on the air, but it happened. <laughs> Sometimes think, those are the best. And kind. I think I told you this, that Sean Bradley showed up at the conference. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Sean Bradley is an inch taller than Mark Eaton. And they were both in Jackson Hole at the same time. Uh, Sean Bradley was doing mission work mm-hmm. and some, something to do with that. And then Mark Eaton was there for the conference. And he showed up just so Mark Eaton wouldn't be the tallest guy at the conference. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. a great story. Yeah, that is. You know, and that's, that's fun to be a yeah. part of that. Well, uh, one that I remember was, and I can't remember who the player was, but it had to do with, do you remember um, when the Redskins, let's see, it was, it was the Redskins played the Dolphins back in the 80s? No, they had some good games against Marino back then. So the Dolphins actually employed people to inspect the trees around the practice field <laughs> because of spies. Yeah. Because the Redskins were spying on them, or at least they were paranoid yep. enough to think so. Yeah. Well, and, and apparently that goes on, right? I mean, well, we, we, we learned about Spygate or whatever with the Patriots. Well, the a couple Houston years Astros ago. got busted for Houston it after Astros, they won a World right. Series yep. for spying, you yeah. know? I mean, so it's just, it's kind of interesting, you know? Um, That's right. Uh, like one, what was it? The first. The first Super Bowl, the national anthem was not sung. No. Vicky, Vicky Carr sang America the Beautiful. And I think the halftime show was a, a college band or something. I mean, yeah, it was. Just... It was the Tyler Jr. College Apache Band, yeah. if my memory serves me correctly, <laughs> because just weird trivia on In that. In 1967, so that would have been, what, the second or the first Super Bowl, uh, tickets cost $6. And in fact, um, my grandfather, uh, who lived here, and was a distributor for Pabst Beer back in the uh, the fifties and sixties. Got free tickets to Super Bowl three. Uh, yeah, okay. From one of his distributors, it was you know kind of a gift. So he went. Uh, I think he took my grandma, and they went down and you know spent the weekend and went and saw Joe Namath play the Colts. And you know it, the tickets. I think you know it was a throwaway, but I think they cost maybe twenty or thirty bucks. You know if you'd bought them. I, I think a lot of people threw them away. Yeah. And so they were able to get it very easily because, I mean. Well, they were given as giveaways. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the first couple of Super Bowls, they were concerned that they weren't going to be able to fill the stadiums. So there was a there was a real push to get as many people as they could to show up. I can't remember if it was the Super Bowl. And I know it was the NBA championship. They got tape delayed for like sound of music or something like that uh there was like a sunday night sound of music that the broadcasts were like absolutely not we're not going to air the super bowl or absolutely not we're not going to air the nba championship game so they tape delayed it wow i mean that's how little importance the sports 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 had back then you know and so we should do a segment on that like just kind of the weird advancements of sports you know like i mentioned the the thanksgiving game out nobody Mm -hmm. wanted it yeah now everybody wants it in fact, well, they added there's a third four of them. Right? Was there four now? Well, yeah, there's whatever at least it is. Three. There's three games, I think. Yeah. Well, you remember when we started getting Saturday football, too? And then the NFL network came on. So you had 24 7 of just sort of football 
tidbits. Yeah, and the Saturday, you know, that was that was kind of an encroachment. You know, Friday was high school, Saturday was college, and Sunday was NFL. And then whenever the high school and college wasn't there, NFL's like, we got it now. I mean, they're almost every day of the week. Now. I don't know if it's me, but the, the I have more access to more football now than I ever have, and I probably watch less than I did when it was the three or four networks and you, you know, you planted your butt on the couch and on the on game day because there wasn't going to be a replay. All right, last one. Okay, what Actually, you got? last two. Last two. Last two, because we're going to do the last one, which is a motivational one. It makes you feel good that no matter what happens, merit sometimes matters. There's right? actual hope in the world. Well, usually an MVP quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe wide receiver. I remember Sometimes a defensive back. I remember Desmond Howard got it one year. I think a kicker. Probably. I know I know Mark Mosley got the MVP for the season back in like eighty two or eighty three. Really? Yeah, Mark Mosley did the kicker. But um are you ready for this one? Yeah. Only one man has been named the MVP for a losing team. What? Imagine the monster game you gotta have to be the MVP for a losing team. Well, and imagine how, like, that's got to taste like ash in your mouth, man. And who that, was that? And that man's name was Chuck Howley. Chuck Howley? The Dallas Cowboys lost to the Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl V. That's five. I know that one. I do, too. That's because the only one I know. <laughs> because of Jason Voorhees' Friday the 13th movie. That's the movies. only reason I know. Super Bowl five, but Howley, who had two interceptions, was voted the most valuable player. Hey, <laughs> how about that, folks? All right. Now, the last one we have is to kind of tie in our Super Bowl squares. We have our Super Bowl squares, folks. It's available. We will be drawing our, our numbers on Friday. Okay. So everybody will have the numbers board on Saturday. So, so they can print the it game. out and put it on their refrigerator. Yep. Put it Cross on their oh, fingers. Probably a phone now. Boy, print it out. Put it on the print refrigerator. What are you talking about? What are we, what are we cavemen? <laughs> Cheapers. Okay. So the numbers will be done. But the last piece of advice I have is because we got a few emails on this. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, why do you have a final score and a fourth quarter score? Because of overtime. And it's happened one time. Yeah. But one we have seen it. time. Do you know when it happened? The overtime? Yes. Uh, it was against the Falcons. It was. The yeah. It was the Patriots felt it. Yeah. Falcons. Yeah. Feltic, the, the Falcons had a 28-3 to lead. Yeah. It was, Patriots a, came it was back. a train wreck. It was just an absolute train wreck. That was Super Bowl LI. <sighs> Is that 51? Sure. Let's go with that. All right. So there you go, folks. Be sure to check out the crudelife.com play hard, work hard morning show page as we've got our prizes, 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 as well as the chewy paw toys that you hear Frackleberry Hound chewing on. And oh, we got a climate activist coming to the door. So we got to go, folks.
the crude life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today the industrial forest it takes an industry to build a forest hey folks jason Spees with the crude life did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year lack of watering transplant shock special interest groups poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest and that is exactly what the industrial forest does sustainability sheds critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Crude Live Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. we got news coming up in just a moment or two. I first want to mention our sponsor again, Orange Property Management, as well as Maxwell's. They're our weekly sponsors. I was looking at that menu, by the way, in between uh, commercial breaks. I'm going to get the escargot. I love me some escargot. I mean, you know me with my diet and everything, so when I'm going to go out to eat, I don't let my diet hold me back, but, oh man, escargot, I love that stuff. It's, you know, it's not fair that, that you're healthier by eating that. That just doesn't seem right. Now they've got some chipotle apricot baby back ribs. Yeah, I saw those. You might like those. I'm all about that, man. The artisan tea, cheese plates gonna be there regardless. That they just when I show up, they put one out there. Really? Yeah, okay. I'll eat it, but I I'll consider it kind of snooty too. You know, it's got the little pick away things. It's yeah. got the candied nuts and the tapenade and that uh, sort of thing. My appetizer will be that Cuban. You're gonna get a Cuban. <laughs> That'll be my okay. starter, man. Well, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm I'm I know that the grilled New Zealand lamb rack will be ordered because that's one of their favorites one of their specialties but okay well that meeting i'm looking forward to tonight yeah, now uh well i just want to mention the sponsors and of course swan energy our phone line sponsor will be joining our newsmaker interview during the work hard portion of the show and what else do we got coming up trolling talk still to come this week sterling you've been begging for this to you just can't believe the amount of trolls that happens on social media well, you know i'm just new to this so it's you know i feel like if you get trolling it's it's a sign that you must be making an impact i mean somebody had to have been listening to get upset about it right if you're not upsetting someone you're not doing your job as a talk show host that's for sure well that's an easy job for us then and then of course we have our numbers board uh the super bowl Numbers board, you can go check that out as well. So, all right, is it time for news? Let's do some news. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, let's see here. We got some news coming out. Uh, Extraction Oil and Gas shuffles executives and the board after completing their debt restructuring. So, to me, that seemed like a pretty boring headline, but it's actually a pretty interesting story. Um, So, Extraction Oil and Gas Inc. has tapped a new CEO after it was cleared to exit Chapter 11 bankruptcy several weeks ago. So the company's going to resume trading on the NASDAQ after its stock was suspended. 
and they are looking at. Well, basically, they were among several debt-heavy energy. I was going to say, if my memory serves me correctly, the leadership behind extraction oil was like four to four and a half times the amount of debt. Yeah, at the end of, but during last year, they carried 4.4 times more debt on its books and its equity, leaving it over leveraged. And it's the fourth largest producer of energy in Weld County, producing 13.27 million barrels of oil. Oh, they're a big player in Colorado. On natural gas as well. So they got that large uh, production facility, I think it's in Broomfield, and there's actually some ongoing litigation from county officials that have targeted it with rules to try to stop it from operating. And as you've talked about, Colorado is kind of the uh, lab, testing lab here for some new regs. Mm-hmm. Regulation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting, though. You know, they're... they're what was the, what was the reshuffling of the executives? That was the headline, right? Yeah. So what, they, what, what, who did they name and where, where did they shuffle? So the Denver company. Said, that's the interesting part to me because okay. what I find interesting right now, what's going on in oil and gas. Okay. We talked about this yesterday when I kind of lost my shit. Yeah. Was <laughs> we you know which time there's there there's been a number of people trying to scream and shout for the last five to ten years okay go listen to my interview with lauren scott oh, this yesterday. is always a topic you're bringing up right lauren scott has been talking about this for 10 years it's not just me lauren scott's a shale play prophet too okay so when you got people that have been trying to talk about it and the there's a certain you know body of work that's been done and the leadership has been there so if a certain group of leaders brought a company into bankruptcy because they had four and five times the amount of debt and a certain group of people in charge of public relations ended up getting the president to utter the word war on oil well that body of work is done that's why i'm curious to see where they're reshuffling some of these executives around because for me personally the reason that i've been able to be in business doing what I've been doing for 20 years is because I stopped listening to these people after Y2K. Ha. No, I'm totally serious. Yeah. Well, as a business, as a new business owner, I fell for that shit. And, and that costed me a lot of money. Y2K. Okay. Taught me a lot about how to navigate the marketplace, but more importantly, how the appointed leaders and elected officials, it's just a dance, man. The way they work with the media on things, they jump on. This is what That's the crapshoot. This is why the Greta thing has got me so upset. Yeah. Because the oil and gas industry, humans have been decarbonizing for 150 years. Okay. They did not need the Sierra Club or Greta Thunberg to come along to jump on that momentum that has been happening naturally. So the fact that the the the, the last 10 years they've allowed the climate activists to take over the narrative they have on a momentum that was nat- naturally happening by industry, I am actually dumbfounded that many of these leaders are still around. That's why this is Well, this article, and they are still around because what it sounds like is that um the former board chairman, Tom Tyree, will become the CEO, while former CEO Matt Owens would be demoted to chief operating officer. So it's like a shuffling within. Then the board itself has six new independent directors that are coming in. Well, that's major. Yeah. No, so. that's major. 
Okay. Because the CEO takes direction from the board of directors. And it's uh, Kim Ridge Energy Management Company, managing partner Ben Dell. They're a New York-based private equity group focusing on unconventional oil and gas plays. So coming out of bankruptcy. Well, who are they? They are being bought in uh, to be part of the new board. I mean, who are they, though? Uh, well, they're, it says that they're a New York-based private equity group. And they're going to be doing the management. Did you say Howard Willard? Yes. He's a former CEO That's a, that's of a Philip Morris guy. That's yeah. a tobacco guy. Yeah. That's interesting because I was getting... Like a golden parachute. Well, no. Well, not only that, but the tobacco... Why would they be bringing in a tobacco guy? PR, know. maybe? I'm, you know, see, that's the thing is that there's, there's a level of this that doesn't make any sense to you and me, but probably no, has makes, some relevancy. The, the thing that makes sense to me is the fact that the oil and gas industry is being discriminated against. It's a, it is a flat-out rank prejudiced, okay? And it is no different than what the tobacco industry went through. Well, maybe that's okay? why you bring in somebody like Howard Willard. That's what I was wondering. Like, is, you know, is that why he was brought in yeah. to the board to was help? Was he part of the, the seven... Dwarves, remember when they had yeah. the CEOs get up in mm-hmm. Congress and say, you know, if tobacco was addictive yep. or not? Yep. Was he uh, one of them? Al Pacino, Insider, Russell Crowe, the movie. The movie, the movie, oh, was the, based movie on. the Insider. Yeah, yeah it was based right. on that, yeah, whole, yeah. that whole scene in, in Congress. So I wonder if you bring somebody like this in because you're expecting that you're going to have to go through a similar type of battle. The, doesn't matter. You're already going through it. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, you, this might signal that you're taking it seriously, I guess. That's how I looked yeah. at it. So this is, yeah. You know, and I'm still going to have to. Of course, look get, what happened to those guys. You know, we should have a refresher course on some of these bankruptcies because I, you know, ever since they changed the laws, bankruptcy is a strategy now. How many have you had? I've only had one with no. my with my company. Um, that was the 2009. Uh, it was in the internet cam. Got just boom. So I've had four recessions. One got me. Yeah. But I've I've made it through three. I remember going to a business lunch here in town a couple of years ago where the talk around the table got a little loose after a while yeah. and people were comparing the number of bankruptcies and DUIs that they had had. You must have been in North Dakota. <laughs> it was North Dakota. <laughs> yep. Okay, what's what's the next story? All right, we got? next no now this one you're gonna love this. Check out the headline. This is clickbait right here. Gasoline is becoming worthless. Oh my goodness. This is from That's Yahoo he- Finance. What, excuse me. What is that headline from Yahoo Finance? <laughs> Gasoline is becoming worthless. Yep. Okay. New research from Morgan Stanley argues that traditional internal combustion engines, the mainstay of automobiles for more than a century, are destined to become money losers as early as 2030. We believe the market may be ascribing zero value for ICE-derived revenues at GM and Ford, auto analyst Adam Jones wrote, (laughs) using English that I, I know those are English words, I have no idea what they mean. So he lists a variety of factors likely to transform what were once profit-generating assets into potentially loss-making and cash-burning businesses. An example of this... GM says it plans to stop selling vehicles with tailpipe admissions by 2035. That means GM won't sell any gas or diesel-powered vehicles, the type of cars that now account for nearly all of their sales and profit. So that's going to require an all-electric fleet powered off an electric grid, as with most current electrics, or perhaps through onboard fuel cells powered by hydrogen. While most automakers are developing electric vehicles, GM is the first big one to commit to a full transition. So Ford hasn't yet. They haven't gone that far. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin. Um, from the Orwellian headline, 
that says gasoline is worthless. Well, to, well, I mean, are they talking about it's? That's what I don't understand about something like this. Are they saying that it's worthless because it's not going to be used? That's in what vehicles? they're saying is that because because Joe Biden and John Kerry are saying go out and build solar panels, that the combustible engine and the use of gasoline is going away. That, that that's what I just heard. Um, I know you said a lot more other words, but that's <laughs> most of them I didn't understand. Seriously, right. this analyst, I don't. You know, he's talking about. Market may be ascribing zero or even negative value for ICE derived revenues. That seems sure like that, that, that to me just seems like a very cynical view. If you were to say, boy, that's like a bunch of Ivy League people figuring out a way to shame people into accepting this green revolution through their pocketbook by saying, you know, your, your investments towards cars are a bad investment. You know, just because there, there has, there's a lot of social engineering that has to happen mm-hmm. for gasoline to be worthless, okay? Like, I'm thinking even as electric cars come, the way that they do diesel-powered generators out in the Aborigine desert because they need those, mm-hmm. okay, well, I might do that in America then, and that means my gas is going to be worth more. I mean, right. right. Yeah. Then it becomes more of a specialized fuel. Totally. Right? To yeah. where all then of a sudden now, if you want to travel more than 150 miles, because that's about what an electric car can maybe give you in a day, if you're lucky, is 150 miles. Okay. If you can build me an electric car that I can afford, that can get me the miles I need. And you know, I put like trucker miles on my right. car, 30 to 40,000 a year then I would consider buying one. There's some perks to it. They're quieter. You know, sure, I will buy in, but the cost of me trying to buy in to help, at least from this narrative, it, that's not even in my price range, man. Fifty to $75,000 for the car? Are you the, kidding me? To me, the fact that, the, that you can plug in your car at your house, that's where, that's where the electric car has got the people, okay? When people... You're vi- still taking that... You're taking that charge on an electrical power. No, it's uh, convenience. You, yeah, you don't have to go to the gas station. You just you charge it in at the end of the night. The next day, it's charged up. People like that in their head. They like that that whole theory. It's the most expensive fuel source. But you can source. do that with natural gas. In the same way, you can plug in your car into natural gas because th- that's the problem with natural gas. It takes a while to, mm-hmm. to fill. So... What about I, replacement tanks? I see these like utility vehicles at parks and stuff where they're operating on a natural gas tank. It looks like they got a barbecue tank in the back of the vehicle and they're running We got to get that. somebody on to really go through the different types of vehicles. Mm-hmm. I mean, really go. You know what? Let, let's add that to see, our but list. You know, let's get an, let's get an up, automobile expert on. I grew up actually being driven around in a Ford Pinto. Okay. Remember those? Oh yeah. Had the ones a, that exploded. Well, only if you hit the gas tank really hard in the back, but and, yeah. And there was dynamite there. <laughs> well, did, they got busted for that. No, that, well, was the, that was the Chevy truck but on they, the side tank. They got busted for the fact that, you know, basically, yeah, is that they had to rethink where you put a fuel tank. Right. Yeah. You know, so there's always that fear, right? I, I wonder if natural gas would be one of those things that might be actually better, but scarier, you know? People think gas, they think boom. I The only thing I know about natural gas is that um, when I interviewed the CEO of Jiffy Lube, okay, and the VP of Cummings. Both great names. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the VP of Jiffy Lube, he was talking about their synthetic oil that was made out of natural gas, mm-hmm. okay? I mean, I'm like, what? Yeah, no you, idea. You guys make oil out of natural gas? Yeah. 
It's awesome. like through a looking glass now, people. Right. So that was like way neat, right? In the Cummings, the, the issue there was they couldn't get the engines really reliable and powerful enough to get over the Rocky Mountains. And that's a really important part that's, of distribution. That's an important part. And so, you know, when, when you think about just that on its on a real basic deal of it, that's that's where they need to figure out a way to get that natural gas to the next level in the same way that solar needs to get a terawatt of storage before they can even be economical for a house. I've always thought in, you know, total ignorance here maybe, but if you're, if you're going to try to transition to electric vehicles, EVs or whatever, right, or hybrids, that you would start first with your public transportation transportation, your trucking and stuff like that, because that would be a good way to figure out the engineering behind it. And also, if you're going to be able to to really make a dent on things, I would think you'd want to be able to change those over. That article makes me want to go out and buy a diesel car. Or a diesel. There's a truck. lot of benefits, man. I mean, I, I'm talking about a diesel. Yeah. I mean, one where if I had to in a pinch, I can grab some corn, grab some rye, grab some pumpkin, whatever, make some <laughs> ethanol. If I, you know, that, that, I mean, there's the diesel is, you know, I mean, you can burn a lot of different things that are close to diesel in a diesel engine. It's not well, good it's, for the engine long term, yeah, but in a pinch. But as I understand to. it, too, diesel is a really long lived fuel. You know, if it's properly steel, sealed up, it'll last a lot longer than conventional mm-hmm. fuel with the additives and oh, stuff like that. Oh, rocks, man. Yeah, so. But when you look at the long term of this, I, I, I do think it's going to get probably a lot worse before it gets better. Well, you know, I'm kind of curious. This green, the GM's this green going, that's, that's, a, that's a huge commitment. I mean, that's 2035. That's like less than 20 years from I'm now. I'm not too, I don't worry about that I don't see it much. happening. I mean, it's like. You can change the way next year. I mean, look at look at the California governor in, our, in, in yesterday's. Yeah. Uh, news news cycle. Still He's out there permits. a year ago uh, doing a pledge, forcing people to go a certain way, and he turns around and does what he wants anyways. Yeah. So what's the next news story? Well, I thought I'd look at something that's a little off the beaten path. So I know you don't follow the news news, international news too much, but uh, did you hear about the military coup in Myanmar the other day? Myanmar? Myanmar, yeah. No. Okay. They, they, there was a coup again? There was they a got no, one yeah. every week, it seems like. You know, it's weird because they had seemingly stabilized from military rule after like 50 years is that the same place no i don't think so okay no so okay what made the story here though is that while they were beginning this coup there was a woman uh filming her regular upbeat aerobics class completely oblivious to the beginning of the coup in the background as blacked out military vehicles hurtled towards a checkpoint guarding government buildings. And the incredible footage that has drawn comparisons to Black Mirror online, uh, King Hien Wai works out as the first of the armored tanks drives up to the assembly of the Union Parliament buildings in the Myanmar capital. She jigs from side to side to the up-tempo dance music with her focus on the camera as the convoy is allowed through the security checks and speeds onward to the government buildings. Are you kidding me? So she obviously didn't know what was going on. And so in she's, a release, she's filming a selfie video. She does it every, does it apparently every day of the week that whatever, whatever this happened. Doesn't right? matter. Yep, yep. She's caught up in her own world. Yep. To the tune to where there's a, there's a, military coup going on behind her with armored cars armored and, and cars those trucks and or whatever with the and yeah it's uh oh wow look at that that's amazing yeah so. no i see it yeah that's, yeah that's so incredible. you know 
it's one of those. She's just on where, a street corner in her own world. Yeah. Well, apparently she was part of some sort of uh, dance class. So she was recording it, you know, for herself and for other people. She had no idea what was going on. Uh, it's already gone viral, of course, and it's been her image and dance has been superimposed on such things as the Capitol riots, the Hindenburg disaster, the Titanic and others. I'm just trying to think of like I've had. That's 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 like 2021 very, right there in a picture, man. Very few moments where I've drank enough alcohol to black out. OK, maybe one in my life, maybe if I'm thinking right. OK. The day uh, you well, can I remember. I don't I remember it. Say, right. It's sort of self-defeating. Uh, and and when I think of that, okay, to where I've 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 you know, when I was younger, I I would have some fun. And I was still pretty aware of things, okay. And to be that unaware, like I get this is my son and I's battle nonstop. Be aware of your surroundings, mm-hmm. son. Aware of your surroundings. It's just to, they're they're always on their phone, yeah. and their peripheral vision has gotten so limited now to where I it's 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 concerned me. Right? Dude, there's a whole section of videos on YouTube devoted to people getting into accidents because they were walking looking at their phone. They walk into a fountain. They walk off a staircase. Oh, are you and, kidding me? I'm not kidding you. I mean, I believe it. It's out there. I yeah. mean, there's a whole so yeah. There's vein well, on well, monkeys. Well, just telling me before we started going on show about people how many people have died taking selfies at the grand canyon and that's the part that blows me away is that there are people that are so caught up in their own world taking their selfie so that they can go put it on the social network that they die like i i i in this I, I want to know what the how many people fell into the grand canyon yeah before selfie and after selfie I want to know how there's many, always people dying at the Grand Canyon. How right? many people fell into that big giant geyser in, in Yellowstone Park before selfies and after selfies? And yeah. Polaroids, you get the you get it right then and there. But I I, I don't know. Did you? I, I never really saw people trying to take selfies with Polaroid cameras. No, or those little portable ones yeah. either. And the portable ones are probably easier than your phone because you just got to click a button. The, your phone, you got to have you know your finger. You can't have your fingernail. Yeah, it's totally beyond me to go to that kind of length to get a good picture of yourself. But to be that clueless that there's an actual military coup going on behind you, that's, I'm sorry, but I got to stand up and clap at that one. That's just like, <laughs> well, apparently, according to this new- woman, she had no idea. She had her headphones in, she's got music going. She had no idea what was going on behind her. She records in that spot weekly for a class. Mm-hmm. So she's come out Which and makes it even better. Yeah. Then it's her spot. But, you her know, time. They, what's in, you know, I mean, obviously they, there's, they were imposing on her. <laughs> it's like that picture you sent me earlier today of the vacation guy or the tourist guy, right. That's been Photoshopped into all those different, Oh, the nine 11 guy. guy. Yeah. Right? That was the first kind of, uh, um, Photoshopped meme when nine 11 happened, where this guy was taking a photo yeah. and all of a sudden you could see the plane in the background. Well, then, it went nuts, and the pill was very doughboy, and he's on the bus from Speed. Yep. And anyway, sorry, yeah, I probably no, took a joke. It's but. kind of the same thing, though, is that we've gotten to our point uh, in culture where we don't know necessarily if it's a real picture we're looking at, and we can't tell if they're taking it because it's ironic or they're just so clueless or if it's just accidental. That's the thing, man. We can now look in or look out through the eyes of like millions of people around the world at any given time. Have you ever just bounced around Facebook Live? 
You should no. try it sometime. No. Yeah. Just people that are just putting live stuff out there. It's, it's a black hole. <laughs> so you just, what, you just watch people? You watch people, what they're, they're recording, you know, or what they're filming. And it's, everything is obscure as they're brushing their teeth to they're ranting about politics, to they're showing you how to crochet, to a, a guy that live streamed a murder. You know I mean? It's, we can now see everything. I mean, that sounds great in concept. No, it's horrible. But I was going to say, in, in, in real life practice, that just sounds yeah. like a train wreck. Well, you know, there's a term for what we all do now called doom scrolling, right? No. And the idea, What's doom scrolling? Doom scrolling is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's just constantly scrolling through news or articles or things that are going to, they just reinforce or make you upset. They provoke anxiety or anger, basically. Oh, man. They figured out a way to make the moth mad. The flickering <laughs> lights brought us in, and now they figured out a way to anger us. Oh, man. Yeah. I tell you what, though. I was wondering that about Biden. Not to bring it back to Joe Biden, but I see we got about a minute Good left. Good old so. Joe. Well, I was just thinking either you were talking about it or somebody was talking about it. One of these news stories in the last day or two. I'm still trying to figure out if he's backseat Biden. Or if he's kind of the Wizard of Oz here. Like, he seems to be kind of living in a world of platitudes. So he's just kind of directing traffic. Do this, do that. And, you know, he's doing a lot of bossing around, but he doesn't really seem to understand that there's no gas left in the engine. Or, you know what I mean? He's backseat driving is what mm. I'm getting at. Uh, you know? Well, he's got, you know, you got that grandpa persona. He well, he like, did who turned up the thermostat? Well, he was the backseat driver with Obama. Yeah. Or yeah. was he the Wizard of Oz? Like, Cheney. Was the Wizard of Oz behind no, I, George no, Bush? No, no, I, th I, think, I think Biden initially <laughs> was a choice because here's a stable, recognizable face next to the brand new scary guy with a weird name. And that's that's why he'd be backseat Biden. Yeah, yeah because he was just kind of the Now, no, the I mean, you know, we can go off on a whole segment on that. But no, I think he's the one that's probably calling the shots. But that's what a, a president really is supposed to do is delegate, right? I just don't think he knows what he's doing yet. No, I do. But, you know, that's a whole nother talk. And we'll end with that. And we're I don't like go. what he's doing, but I think he knows what he's doing. And we're going to work hard next. And, folks, that's going to do it today. We'll see you tomorrow. It's going to be Friday soon. heard on the Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com The Crude Life with Jason Spies. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Balkan and, and
and that's what America should be united as one and that's exactly what we are and, and then you know that's what I love about the oil and gas industry one county in Kansas one single county produced nine percent of the world's oil that was oil that won World War One, as a British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. Commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices, the solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of Red Riding Hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know, when you move to oil field areas, you get a, a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend and I was like, hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when, when are we moving? <laughs> and honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Dustin Gavrilo, North Dakota Watchdog Network. Thank you for joining us here today on The Crude Life via our Swan Energy phone lines. Dustin Goverlow with the North Dakota Watchdog Network. Man, you've had to been doing that for over a decade now. Um, how long have you been doing this? I've uh, been operating as the Watchdog Network since 2012, and before that, uh, we were the uh, North Dakota Taxpayers Association for another four years. So, And then if you go further, uh, we were uh, the North Dakota Americans for Prosperity, but uh, we don't talk about those times. <laughs> How long? I've been doing this 15 years now. I was going to say, I know you and I have been going back from my days, you know, when I was doing news talk at uh, KFGO and some of the other radio stations in Fargo that you were kind of one of the, the Bismarck's um, researcher and, and watchdog and kind of that first person to keep the politicians accountable and turn a few heads and, and that sort of thing. And that in the advent of internet and being able to research things on a, you know, click of a fingertip, almost like you were like the GameStop Reddit guys back 15 years ago, but with government documents, Dustin. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, when, when I started, it was, it was the three of us, which was uh, Rob Court, myself and Brett Narlock with the North Dakota Policy Council. And, uh, <laughs> Rob's still doing his thing, and I'm still doing my thing. You know, I still call Rob Port the most successful blogger to come out of North Dakota because that guy started out as a blog, and he's done a fantastic job of of turning that into a business. And he's, he's polarizing, and that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is he's done a fantastic job of figuring out a way to make a living out of being a blogger. And he's had to reinvent himself a few times over and, and combine a couple business models together, and I tip my hat to him for that. Um, and so, anyway, uh, you mentioned I haven't heard his name in a while. That's why I, I, br I brought that up, I guess. But let's yeah, yeah. You know, those of us in the in the political world in North Dakota, we have to be creative because, uh, despite popular opinion, there's not all that much money in politics. At least not in the independent uh, uh, 
type of politics where you're trying to be a journalist and trying to do lobbying at the same time. And, and you know, it, it's very difficult. It's feast or famine, baby. But we are living in a day and age now where the subscription model is becoming a little bit more accepted by the average person. You know, for a long time, the subscription model was kind of considered Amway and Tupperware and network marketing and pyramid schemes. And now with the advent of uh, Freshly Dinners and Harry's Razors and all kinds of different things that subscription models are, are a little bit more uh, palatable to the average person. So you're seeing a resurgence of, you know, organizations like yourself. The crude life, we've had to reinvent ourselves four times in the last 10 years. And four years ago, five years ago is when we went with the subscription model. And that's been our, that's been our, our sweet spot. You know, it doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> I'm going toe to toe with an ad agency right now because they don't understand our new model. They're, they're out of Chicago and they keep trying to fit me into the old traditional media model. And I keep telling them, we, we don't do that anymore. We just, and they're like, what do you mean you don't do? They can't figure that out. Like, what do you mean you don't do that? And I'm like, we just don't. We have to we have to do things this way because we're not everything. We're very specific now with what we do. And one of the things that we do is we bring in experts. We bring in people that are consistently in the news. We bring in people that generate and create news based on what they research and who they interview and how they package their news. And well, lo and behold, I got a press release from the North Dakota uh, Watchdog Network, and it was about coal. And I went, oh, my goodness, I haven't seen a coal news brief come out of uh, the North Dakota Watchdog Network ever. But there has been a lot of coal news in North Dakota over the past six months. I saw that even Petroleum Council was lobbying for coal in an Associated Press article over the summer. I haven't heard much from from anybody outside of, you know, coal in the state of North Dakota. So I thought we'd bring you on to talk a little bit about that. Obviously, a lot of the oil and gas talk is related to federal leasing. And uh, tomorrow on our program, we have U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. So we're going to talk about some of the executive orders and et cetera. But uh, with Dustin today, we want to talk a little bit about coal. And I love the headline, man. I don't even know if you're for it or against it or if you're being snarky or trying to stir the pot or what. But it it was like, you know, the North Dakota legislators are not going to allow coal to fail. Oh, legislators are going all in on coal. So talk to me a little bit about what, what you're looking at, what your idea is, and how you came up with the coal idea. Well, you know, this has been something that I've been keeping an eye on. And, and in the last year, I've, I've been learning a little bit about the energy industry. Not as much as you know, of course, but uh, I, I have not stuck my nose into energy in the past other than in 2010, 2011, I was involved in fighting against the cap and trade bill at the federal level. And um, so this session, I noticed just an absolute flood of bills related to coal. We'd been hearing that there was going to be bailout bills and subsidy bills, and you know we didn't see much early on, but then all of a sudden, uh, a couple weeks into the session, uh, half the bills that were popping up were related to coal and energy. And, and so uh, you know I've testified on a couple of them, testifying on another one tomorrow. And overall, there's this, this 
critical mass of Republican legislators who believe that the state of North Dakota has to save coal. Now, whether you believe that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's Republicans doing it. It's Republicans proposing millions upon millions of dollars to do it and proposing new taxes to do it. And, um, you know, it, it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, you, you, you said that you didn't know where my, my title was coming from. Well, I'm taking this from the strictly uh, traditional conservative free market position of, you know, if we've got an industry here, we've got to look at how we can get the state and government uh, out of the way. But, you know, the, the state should not be in the business of propping up any one industry. I don't believe that the state should prop up wind, solar, anything. I think, you know, in an ideal world, it would all live or die on its own merits. And in all likelihood, if, if the playing field was level and all of those subsidies for, for green energy were gone, it would still, the market would migrate that direction, it would just be slower and it would be more sustainable. So, so I'm looking at this as, okay, if, if this industry is really um, on its last legs, like some people think, uh, and I'm speaking of coal, um, you know, that we're looking at a 10 to 20 year window where it's pretty much going to be gone as far as uh, North Dakota's ability and to viably produce it. Um, and, not ju- and, and not really at a production level, it'll always be producible. The problem is the, the markets and the fact that Minnesota and these other states uh, that are left-leaning have created, basically they've built walls to stop any energy that is based in carbon and based in fossil fuels. And so if we've got an energy economy that's based on exporting uh, those types of energy products, we've got a problem. And, and that's what the legislature is looking at now. And they're, they're looking at doing it in a few different ways, and we can certainly go bill by bill if you'd like. I wanted to ask you about something in the Bismarck Tribune, okay? Yeah. And it has to do with, um, I, I had to look at it twice because I'm not sure I fully understand this. So, According to the Bismarck Tribune, all right, the bill before, now I don't know what bill this is. It's, uh, hang on here, let me look at the story real quick. I think you're talking about 1458. HB 1458. Okay, HB 1458, House Bill 1458, for those of you out there that do not know what HB means, because I I did not at first. It took me a little while to know what it meant. Um, All right. So North Dakota lawmakers would levy a tax on wind farms that would equal half the production tax credit. This tax would apply only to wind farms that begin operating in 2021 or future years. The state tax uh, officials estimate the measure would generate $5 million per year in tax revenue from the new wind farm. What, what is going on with that? I guess um, I, I don't understand that if it's if it has to do with coal like are they anyway what, what what's that all about that that uh tax on wind farms well what they're trying to do is they're trying to um steal the the federal subsidy that wind energy gets from the federal government via tax credit that's what i thought take, take half of it 
and then dump that half into subsidizing coal instead. And so this is the state of North Dakota indirectly trying to tax the federal government. Well, what I don't like is what my gut was right away is that the, the, the blowback, the blowback, which is not, now it's, it's fossil fuels versus green energy. And so now facts get thrown out. It's just it's straight out emotion versus versus loud shouting. And th- this this to me, when, when, when I read through your press release today, all I could see was reaction, reaction, reaction. That's all I could see was was yep. how, how can we react? Because apparently we didn't see this coming. How can we react and do it in a way with a big middle finger? That that's what I read in a lot of these. So uh, yeah, go through go through a few of these bills. If you want to go through all of them, go through all of them. But uh, definitely highlight a few so people can get an idea of, uh, of of what's happening here with the energy sector in North Dakota. Yeah, and and you know hopefully you can get somebody else who is an, a, a more of an industry expert on on this. Uh, it's my understanding that a lot of this goes back to something called power purchase agreements where the federal government guarantees to every utility that they will buy a certain level and certain amount of energy based on production capacity. And that that is kind of a baseline, uh, support structure, sort of like with, uh, with, with, uh, uh, egg commodity prices where, you know, the federal government will buy the crop if nobody else will. Yeah, there's a, there's a certain safety net. Yeah, there's a certain safety net that's going to ensure that at least you'll have a heartbeat, you know, because you, you need to have a heartbeat so the community has a heartbeat. You know, it's like the same reason that, you know, in order in order to have a power company, you got to ensure that even in a blackout, you can go out and get generators or you can go out and get power to people, you know, and, and otherwise they, they're not going to give you a monopoly. You know, they, you have to... so. Um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's a core. Yeah, I get it. Yep. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So it's my understanding that a lot of these power purchase agreements are expiring and the federal government is not going to renew them oh. if they are uh, fossil fuel based. And so that is a big problem here. And, and that's kind of the hole that the state of North Dakota is trying to fill Hang on here. directly or indirectly. Repeat that. That's the, that, that right there is the whole story. What you just said right there is um, the headline for the story of, of this interview. So what was that federal th- expi- expiration? That, that the, the federal power purchase agreements are set to expire in the next few years, uh, two to five years, roughly, and that that is going to create a black hole for coal-based power. And, and the state of North Dakota is looking at how can it fill that hole so that these power plants are still viable if that uh, baseline support level that has been there from the federal government all along, I mean, it, it has been subsidized, but it's been subsidized in the, in the manner of buying power at the bottom end. And, and so we've got legislators that are worried that this is going to collapse, not the North Dakota economy, but the economy of at least certain sections of North Dakota. I mean, I grew up in Mercer County in Zap, so, uh, you know, this would affect my home area more than anybody and, and, and more than anything in, in the state. And so uh, you've got 
at the legislature now, the first bill, which was heard a few weeks ago, is uh, House Bill 1452. And that is called a Clean Sustainable Energy Authority. They want to create a new agency. They want to give it $25 million. And it sounds great. It sounds like it's a way to pave the way for future to have clean energy, when in fact it is a way to subsidize uh, carbon keep sequestration at a higher level than we are already doing it, which is interesting because we've already got programs that are subsidizing that. So it's like, if we've already got it and we think it works, you know, why do we need a new agency? Why not just dump more money into it there? But that's what they want to do. They want to create a new agency. They want to redefine what clean and green is for North Dakota's purposes in the hopes that uh, other states and other power markets that buy our electricity will be willing to take it if it is a little bit cleaner than just regular old coal. I personally think that that's, you know, wishful thinking because Minnesota and California and whoever we sell our, our energy to, they're not worried about whether it's clean coal. They're worried about whether the word coal is there at all. And so unless we can tell them, well, we converted it over to natural gas first and then we used it to build to fire a power plant, they're not going to want to deal with it. And, and so this bill is, is kind of uh, a smokescreen. It's a masquerading of a clean energy bill, but it's really just another uh, support structure subsidy, subsidy system. So really, though, at the end of the day, it, it's an attempt to try to subsidize coal so that they don't shut down. That, that, right. would, would you say that's at least their intention? Yes. Yeah, that is the intention. Whether whether it is viable, a viable uh, approach to doing that, I think is up to for debate. And well, no, it's it, it's an extremely narrow-minded bill. There's no question about it. It's it's extremely narrow. But wh- whether it's right or wrong is up to each person. Because when your state relies on seventy percent of coal to power it, you know you you have to start going beyond creative so i i listen i i'm not going to fault a lot of the 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 legislators for doing what they got to do on this thing because um their backs are against the wall on this coal thing they science doesn't matter you hit the nail on the head the minute the word coal is introduced people turn off right then and there i mean when you said that i started thinking going they got to pass a law to change the word coal just call it like uh puppy fuzzy puppies or something like that uh, no never mind you can't get energy from fuzzy puppies um that's, that's even worse um, we gotta come up Lots with something else energy nuggets well, <laughs> sterling our, our morning show partner we do a morning show here now called play hard work hard the first half hour is uh, uh play hard and kind of a morning prep meeting just have some fun that sort of thing the second hour which you're on right now is the uh, play hard we you know a little more serious talk i'm sorry work hard we you know we actually have serious talk um, conversations that are not easy to have, you know, kind of some real leadership talk. And um, anyway, I just, it, it got me thinking of that a little bit, that uh, uh, the play hard portion, you might you might enjoy that a little bit more. But um, anyway, so. I, I will definitely have to, to tune in uh, to, to that version. Well, it, it, he, free, Sterling calls fracking freedom juicing. Because we've, we've said that the word frack is a terrible word. 
Um, and it's not me actually who said that originally. Uh, I went to a conference out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, back in 2014, where they had Federal Reserve people there and a lot of CEOs. I mean, this was like a rare albino elk sighting of of high level of people, right? And um, the keynote speaker, the first thing he said was. You know, we could have gave Madison Avenue a billion dollars to come up with the worst word ever for our industry, and we did it to ourselves for free. And, you know, the thing about that word is it's a very accurate word. It's a very scientific, very technical word. But when you translate that into modern society, you fracture a dam, you fracture a relationship, you fracture your bone. We've been conditioned our whole life to just that word it doesn't really have a lot of positive connotation around it. So just that right there, you're kind of back against the wall. Um, it's, it's got a very, I mean, pro wrestling, man, the frack attack, that'd be cool. We, you know, we name, we name our dog Frackleberry Hound, our mascot. It's the only time I've seen people smile with the word. So Sterling, he calls fracking freedom juicing. So we're starting to call it that. Anyway, so I just thought you might get a kick out of that. We might need to change the word coal to something else. Then if that's if that's what it if that's what it takes in order to buy these guys 10 years of a job or something like that. Because at the end of the day, Dustin, my big problem is that you know, fossil fuels, 90, 95% of our life relies on it. And to and, and I, you and I are around the same age, you know, we're in our mid forties, at least I am, and um, just to go from ninety percent society reliance down to seventy percent uh, would be a twenty percent reduction. I, I think that's really aggressive, just even over twenty thirty years. I think that's really hard to do when you start thinking of you know just seafood. Just seafood. I'm not even talking about transporting it to, you know, Bismarck, North Dakota, where you are. I'm talking about the boats that go out and catch it. Just that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about aspirin. We're talking about all these Tesla cars that, you know, everybody idol worships Elon Musk. But the, the rubbers and, and, and the tires are made out of that. And the, the batteries are powered by natural gas. I mean, so much of that car is, is petroleum products. It's ridiculous. I actually think the idol worship on Elon Musk is so big right now. He could say tomorrow he's starting an oil company and the environmentalists would applaud him. Oh, somebody finally understands oil. Oh, my goodness. Let's give it to him. I, I think that, you know, we're in a day and age where... That just seems to be the lead. Anyway, I'm sorry. I got it on my soapbox. You do that to me. You get me on soapboxes with these bills. But um, Yeah, and, and, and I think that your, your message is that it's all about marketing. It's all about marketing. Just it, like. It's an episode of Mad Men. You know? <laughs> or, or Elizabeth or, Warren. I mean, uh, she hasn't been Elizabeth Warren for 30 years. That was four marriage ago's. So her name is Elizabeth <laughs> Warren Man Herring or something like that. So anyways, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about... Um, these other bills then what what are some of the other bills that people in energy need to pay attention to either from you know like oh i don't like the way that one's positioned to oh okay there's some money coming in <laughs> yeah yeah so house bill uh, 1412 was heard today in fact and you got a 13 to 0 due pass with almost no uh discussion and and that is a bill that would reduce the uh, state tax on coal power generation and conversion by 60% for the next five years. Uh, it's roughly a $35 million per biennium 
uh, industry-specific tax reduction. And, you know, in the past, again, it comes down to philosophical basis. In, in, in the past, Republicans have been apprehensive about targeted tax cuts. They like across-the-board tax cuts. It benefits all residents and all businesses. Here we've got a situation where that's kind of being pushed aside. So the, the issue is whether it's good tax policy or not. Uh, House Bill 1380 is one of the many, many bills that uh, looks to spend our legacy fund earnings and possibly even some of the uh, uh, principal uh, by creating a new economic diversification fund. Now, the question that I brought up is, what's the difference between economic diversification and the economic development program that we've had in North Dakota for the last 25 years? We've spent a lot of money on, quote, economic development. Is that not working? And now we have to shift and double our, our subsidy program, and, and now we're going to have economic development programs separate from economic diversification programs, you know, it, 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 we, we get into this duplicating of government agencies, government programs, and we all know what Ronald Reagan said about government programs. Next, next best thing to eternal life. They, once they start, they don't stop. It's, it's amazing to hear the passion in your voice because, you know, you're, you're, you're a libertarian at the core. I know that. I mean, you've got these libertarian tendencies to let the free market work, let people, you know, have whatever lifestyle they want to have in their own house and, you know, just that sort of thing. And it's frustrating. I can hear it. I can hear it. And I'm, I'm in the same camp. Listen, I've, I've been pretty upfront that I was, a, uh, you know, I, I'm an old Goldwater Republican. You know, I'm one of those stay out of my checkbook, stay out of my personal life, but I'll gladly pay for the roads and law enforcement and, you know, the, the laws that we collectively come up with together, et cetera. The special interests and the subsidies I got some real problems with. And um, it's very difficult for me to see what's happened because so many people that have been speaking and preaching about the free market my whole life, it really seems like they're very afraid of the free market. Do you think, or are you observing almost like this fear of the free market right now? I think that the certain factions on, on the Republican side, on the conservative side have watched four years of, President Trump's populism and, and decided that, you know, that whole idea of the free market, you know, maybe it's, it's, too, it's too difficult to defend. You know, it's a lot easier to just propose your own socialist programs and try to get your people in charge of them because, you know, the only problem with the socialists is that it's Democrats running it. If, if only Republicans were running those socialist programs, they'd be fine. That's the attitude I believe that a lot of people, a lot of Republicans have. And that is, you know, going to lead to the downfall of conservatism. You know, well, that's, that's, where, that's the difference that's between entitlement. Republicanism was back in the 60s, and that's why Ronald Reagan rose to, to his stature at that time. So we're repeating history over and over again. Well, I was apologizing for interrupting you. I do. But I was just like, I wanted to chime in to say, you know, that that's entitlement when you're talking about taking over, which is, well, they're doing it, so I should do it too. 
That's that's entitlement. That's all it is. Yeah. So the, the the Republicans used to be really against that. And now they're, they're it's it's quid pro quo. It's just you know, there's there's a lot of people out there who do not think that you can operate a business without government support. They just you cannot get to that next level without it. And it's it's a very frustrating and defleeting conversation to hear people talk that way. And they're, you know, they're afraid to talk like that. So it's got to be over breakfast on a Saturday or Sunday morning or late at night. You know what I mean? It's, that's, it's a vulnerable thing for a business owner to admit. It's a very vulnerable thing. But apparently once, once you're getting the government checks, it's, it's really easy to admit <laughs> and, right. and, and, and accept. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, all this comes down to the fact that we have a tax and regulatory regime at, at the federal level, more than the state, obviously, that makes it so difficult to be in business that your states have to fight over how much they can prop up business in order to even survive, let alone compete. And, and this whole idea that we've got, you know, th- this is where the last four years were, were, in my view, a failure because we went away from within the Republican crowd, the idea of state level uh, governance and adopted the idea that, well, as long as we have the right president in the White House, we can fix a few things around the edges with executive orders and things will be fine. Well, no, because it's just going to flip the other way in four years when the next guy comes in and signs 150 executive orders in two weeks. You know, running a government, running an economy this way, we're quickly getting to the point where it's not sustainable. This house of cards is wobbling big time. And at some point, somebody is going to realize that this is not sustainable. What do you make of the governor coming out, Bergam, just to get your opinion, since you've been following the North Dakota politics and everything as long as you have, uh, Bergam coming out and making a statement. I, I didn't really understand the statement against the Keystone Pipeline. Did you get a chance to read that where he's just directing agencies to go do some work to find out what kind of impact it would have? Yeah. Yeah. Burgum's orders are for agencies to evaluate what the Biden executive orders will mean for North Dakota, which is a normal thing. There's nothing that extraordinary about it. It's, it's then becomes an issue, okay, what are you going to do about it? You've got Democrat House and Senate and a state that is now sending all Republicans to D.C. There's no influence there anymore. You know, so, I mean, it's kind of an argument that you should always have one in both sides. You never put all your eggs in one basket, right? You should always have somebody who's got some influence. And uh, because now North Dakota is going to get pinched. And, and it may be for four years, and, and maybe Republicans will find somebody who can rise up again. Uh, but this back-and-forth ping-pong game that, that this country has been playing with the economy since the, you know, the first days of the Obama administration have absolutely created a situation where there is no sustain, there's no sustained policy, there's no predictability in policy, or tax code, or any of these things. And so why would anybody put money into any industry unless it was backed up by government money? Well, that's where we're heading, where very little business activity, and, and never mind 
COVID and, and government shutting down business for six months and then spending trillions of dollars to, to prop them up because the government broke it. You know, people ask me, well, why aren't you out against the, the, the COVID money? The government broke it. The government owes those people the, the ability to make it tell the point that the economy is open again. Because if the government's the one making the decision, it's not the business that's screwing up. I'm all in favor of letting screwed up businesses wither and die. But when it wasn't the business that made the mistake, then that is the role for government. And that's why we should not spend all this money uh, on, on corporate welfare in good times. Keep the corporate welfare for the bad times when, when you need it. I just cannot believe the way the government's taken over the market. I just, I, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime to where they're not only doing executive orders to shut down an industry, but they're publicly shaming it too. They're, they're state sponsoring the shaming that goes into this, the, 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 the industry. And I mean, to the, to the tune to where they're telling people to quit and go build solar panels. I mean, they're actually saying that publicly to oil and gas workers, shut up, go quit and go make solar panels. I mean, I, I've, have you ever heard of such a thing coming from the president of the United States? I mean, that's how much, that, that's how cavalier we've gotten with everybody's lives to where the president of the United States thinks he can just start direct, playing SimCity. He says, everybody, these guys are playing SimCity now with, with our lives. And it's absolutely remarkable because they think, you know what, if, if, if one of those little pop-up things happens, we'll just move the percentage up here and then that'll take care of that. And next thing you know, that, that, that'll all be taken care of. I've, I've never seen anything so cavalier with other people's lives before. And to know that this is the way the future is going, I mean, there's, there are conversations that are being had that I've never heard before from people that I've never heard. And they, they are confused. They're angry. They're trying to figure out where some of their next checks are going, if they even want to stay in the same industry. I mean, mm -hmm. Dustin, things are changing right now, right before our eyes. And the conversation that I had today was fantastic with a guy, business owner, right? And he's in the solar business. He's in the solar industry. And he was sticking up for oil and gas. He said, he goes, I've never seen such a push in my life. He goes, we've been getting subsidies for 30 years. But now, he goes, now we got momentum. Now we got momentum. And we started talking about the difference of what's happened with momentum. Okay, so if you're in North Dakota and you're in Club ND, well, you're getting money and momentum. And if you don't get the money and momentum, well, you got to figure out how to adjust. You got to figure out how to adjust. And that is a big problem for a lot of people because if, if you don't have the momentum going, well, guess what? Your momentum's going backwards then because you're always moving. You're always moving either forward or backward. So if the government decides to give you the money or the bankers decide to give you the money first, well, then you got the momentum. Right there is an intangible value that is worth millions. Yet no one will ever have that conversation. 
and it's worth millions of dollars. So I don't know what your feeling is on that. Absolutely. It, you, this, it just goes back to the basic issue of government picking winners and losers. And, and once they start picking winners, everybody else is a loser. And, and it, it pretty much guarantees that the transition is going to be more painful because it's not the economy making the decision. It's not the consumer making the decision. It's the government dictating through central planning because they're so much smarter than everybody else that this industry should survive and thrive. This one, well, we're going to tax it into the ground and, you know, deal with the unemployment problem when it happens. And that's a sort of short-term thinking that leads to great depressions. And, th- and that's ultimately, you know, this last year, if it has shown us anything, it is that we are susceptible to another great depression and it's going to be a government induced great depression. Well, what's next? What should people do? We like to end on, you know, call to action. I mean, if it's, if it's, you know, getting out the pitch pitchforks and torches, by the way, I really believe what's going on is very simple. Okay. The people in power are just simply pitting the pitchforks against the torches. That's it. The people who have the pitchforks, if they actually have a rational conversation with the people with the torches, I think they could work things out and realize the people in the middle are the ones pitting them against each other. But anyway, I don't know what your feeling is on that. <laughs> I, th- I think that's accurate. I mean, it, you've, governments and, and, and factions have always tried to pit groups of people against each other making them think that the other one is the enemy when in fact the enemy is the person trying to control everything. The, the, the enemy is the person trying to be the Wizard of Oz that, that is behind the curtain and knows how everything's going to happen. And the more you have a government made up of people who think that they know how to run society one way or the other, you know, it, it, it's a two-directional thing. Uh, the, the more chance for chaos and, and catastrophe you have. And so what we need is we need people in, in North Dakota, and, and I know that Montana's having these issues as well with, with coal. Um, we need people to speak out to their representatives and say, we don't want our tax money being used in this war. You know, we don't want to fund one side of the war because we can't outspend the federal government. Why would we even try? You know, we've got a situation where the, the markets are now, and you talked about momentum, and it comes back to a critical mass thing. And, and one bill that we didn't talk about is, is Senate Bill 2291, which is the bill that says that the state of North Dakota is going to divest of all investment funds and companies that practice ESG, which is ethical social governance. I'm sure you've talked about it on your show before. Um, that's most companies now. That it's forty trillion dollars market cap worldwide is is attributed to ESG. The state of North Dakota can't divest of every entity that subscribes to this governance philosophy because there wouldn't be anything left to govern or anything left to, to invest in. Wait a minute and here. Back up. Back, back, back up here. SB twenty two ninety one is what now? It is an attempt to create a situation where the state would look at all of its investments, both in, in companies and in investment funds like a legacy fund or pension funds, 
or the various other you know school trust fund where we, we invest money into stock into the stock market, which is into funds, mutual funds, index funds, that sort of thing. And what they want is in this bill for the state to go through and get rid of all investments in companies or funds that subscribe to what's called ESG, the ethical social governance philosophy. Um, and th this is next impossible because they would, our, our investment management costs would go through the roof if we wanted to do this. And there probably wouldn't be that much to invest in anymore. And, and our, our state investment pools would be uh, overly concentrated in, you know, the, the coal industry or, or oil or something. You know, we got to have a diversified investment portfolio for the money that we are letting ride in stock. Who introduced this bill? Uh, that bill is from Senator Jessica Bell. Do they have any idea what, what they're doing? I don't think so. No, and, and no, the only reason I ask is... Um, ESG, okay, ESG, by the way, it's environmental social governance, as is the actual term. Um, and Meridian Energy Group, which is building the refinery out in, out in the Bakken in, in Belfield, North Dakota, has just gone through three years of court cases based on ESG philosophies to where they had to get certified, okay? So if I'm hearing you right that North Dakota is trying to divest themselves, pull away from any sort of investment funds that would have an ESG investment philosophy. Well, Meridian Energy Group does. Energy Transfer does. Energy Transfer has a 90-page ESG report to their shareholders. So is that what they're talking about? Is that... That's exactly what they're talking about. They it, don't, I don't think they realize that ESG is more than just solar companies. Well, no, they don't. That's what I'm saying. What this, what this smacks of is FU legislation. This is a reaction mm -hmm. is all it is. It's a reaction. It's like, oh, well, you built a bridge. Well, we can build a bigger one than you. That's what this is. I mean, yep. they don't understand that all these oil, BP and all these big oil, oil and gas, I'm sure Hess has an ESG report. Anybody who's a public company has to. They have to. It's, I mean, I don't even, I, I think that's a law. I mean, if not, the banks make them. I mean, it's just, I don't know the nuances quite yet because this ESG stuff's pretty real and it's pretty new. And we're actually one of the more advanced ones on it with the industrial forest. But anyway, I'm sorry to, to, to kind of go off a little bit. I was just a little bit taken back going, well, half the oil and gas companies I interview have got ESG reports, so they would be, they, I guess they can't do business in North Dakota, okay, Cause it, it, unless they don't put in a legacy fund. So, I mean, I'm not sure how this bill reads, but uh, anyway, it, so. It, it is, it, it literally reads that the state will divest of any entity, uh, and this is a study, a study to determine whether the state could divest of entities that practice ESG basically okay well they're gonna get out in the they're gonna get out of the oil and gas business then okay and I, I, I think that from what you're telling me there's probably not many companies out there at least publicly traded that aren't already in this category I mean it's a it's a 40 trillion dollar market cap worldwide that's a lot of 
the world economy. I had one company down in Texas postpone a meeting for a week because they had to double the size of their ESG report to the shareholders before 2021. That's how important it was. It went from like 40 yeah. pages to 80 pages. And they're, they're, they're a big company in the Bakken. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I guess I don't know the nuances of this, but to me, like I said, just the initial reaction was this, this is kind of reminds me of the, of the, you know, just some of the legislation that comes out of just, you know, the, the, the like I said, the overreaction, just, well, you did that. Well, I'm going to do this right back. And uh, it's not very well thought through. So, okay. Well, is there, is there, what should people do? How can they get in touch with you, give you some money, help you, uh, you know, get through 2021 and everything else you got going? Yeah, absolutely. They can go to our website at watchingnd.com. There's a donation button. Uh, there's a, a button to subscribe to our email blast, which you got. Um, and, and just overall, more than anything, obviously we're not going to turn down anybody's donations, but more than anything, start talking to your legislators. Clearly they're not getting enough input. Maybe it's because of COVID and they haven't been talking to a lot of people on the street, but there's something going on. There's a bubble effect going on in this session and they need to hear from regular people now more than ever. heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Jason Space. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomena. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good 
show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> the Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with the chairwoman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Christy Craddock. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Commissioner Christy Craddock, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. So we, as we are watching the price of oil go down, the demand in the country and in the world drop from 100 million barrels a day to roughly 80 million barrels a day. Again, there was this application for us to look and figure out if we should be doing proration again. And uh, which right at the same time, we're shutting down for COVID and Right at the same time, the entire country is trying to figure out what we're going to do, and we're all stuck at home. We had two months of a very active conversation with a lot of information come in from all sectors of the oil and gas industry, whether you were a, a operator, a pipeline company, or you were somebody who was selling it on the open market. A lot of people give us information, and we had an 11-hour hearing, Zoom hearing, probably was the largest hearing at that point. Now we're all used to Zoom, but that was a new technology for a lot of us back in April, and so um, now we're all used to it. But that was And we had people from all over the world, literally watching to see what we were going to do as an as an agency at that point with, you know, we again, five million barrels of oil and 100 million barrel a day market was not a lot, but it was a lot. If you put all of the United States together, it was more like 11 million barrels total. And our friends in Canada were watching to see what we were doing. Our friends in Mexico were watching to see what we were doing. So uh, we had this hearing. We appreciated it. We took a lot of information. I took 15 pages of notes in 11 hours. And for those of you who were watching or paying attention, I got up total of 30 minutes in that 11 hours. That's the only breaks we took. Y'all got to wander around. We sat and took notes and we're serious about it because it was a serious conversation. And it wasn't just big guys against small. It was a very split conversation of people that I would not have thought were on one side or the other. And we appreciated the data. And about a week after, about within two weeks after we had the conversation, the price of oil went to a negative 37. And so at that, within a week, actually. And so at that point, I think there was a recognition that this, which had never happened, obviously, before in my lifetime, in a lifetime, and I'd like to see it never happen again, by the way. But I think at that point, there was recognition from this agency that the free market really was going to work. And so... We chose not to do proration in this a- from this agency, and I think had we, that other states would have followed suit. To listen to the full-length interview with the chairwoman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Christy Craddock, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our morning show, Play Hard, Work Hard, and our social media pages. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. Play hard, work hard.